Hello, and welcome back to the completely normal show here on That Time We Woke Up in a Podcast and Had to. Welcome to the Over Manga Cast. This week, we read Everything is Fine by Mike Birchall. We read the government allotted episodes 1 to 29. Of course, make sure to enjoy the show. Remember, they're listening. <laughs> everyone and welcome back to the over manga cast my name is sam and as always here at the top of the show we talk about our familiarity with the franchise that we read now admittedly this one i think we're all going to be in a roughly similar spot because this is a new property new ish i had not heard of everything is fine until jake mentioned that he saw and jake i'm going to preempt your answer to this question but jake mentioned that he saw an ad for it on youtube and talked about what a good ad it was and that was about the long and short of it until he's like this ad is so good and i read a bit of the comic it's real good let's have it on the podcast and now here we are. Jake, if you wish to reiterate. It's sort of funny because I only saw this particular ad like two or three times. It was so clever the way that it was done. It was like masquerading as like an ad for like a food product or something. So it's like there's these plates of like really good looking food and everybody's happy. It's a family around a dinner table. And then there's like this little fly in the corner. And it's like, if you're not paying attention, it's almost like, is that a real fly on my monitor? For a split second, you see this fly. And then when your eye moves over to see if it is real or not, you notice it's a completely cartoon fly. And then the screen glitches out and it just shows the title everything is fine. Gotta say, I am in fact glad that I never got this commercial because the last time uh, a YouTube video did a thing of pretending a fly was on the... I hucked my tablet halfway across my bedroom. <laughs> so... <laughs> but um, yeah, for, for me, I got the exact right amount of the perfect ad for everything is fine. So... I was super hyped going into this. I had already been, uh, you know, chipping away at it for a little while before um, it got mentioned in this group. Unfortunately, Matt got a bit of a different experience with Everything is Fine ads. First off, uh, I've actually been reading Everything is Fine since like um, I picked up on it real early because I follow the Webtoon account on Twitter and they were like, hey, here's some new series. And I'm like, "Ooh, this one's called Everything is Fine. I bet I can make a quick joke about this. Uh, so I read it and then it was pretty good. And I'm like, well, I'm still going to make the joke. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I've been following it since then. And then um, I heard Jacob tell me I saw this really good ad for Everything is Fine. I'm like, oh, cool. That's one of the webtoons I actually like keep up with regularly. That's really cool that it's getting some exposure. And as if that unlocked some kind of monkey's paw in the like GPS surveillance satellite that <laughs> decides what to advertise me. They're like, you said the words, everything is fine. Here is every single advertisement for everything is fine. Like it was the same four different ads repeatedly. Just every time I had a YouTube ad come up, it was a little obnoxious. If I wasn't <laughs> already reading this series, I might be like, what is going on here? But I don't know. That was probably just a weird coincidence. But uh, yeah, uh, I'm up to date with, well, we're all up to date with it now. Uh, we're all up to date with it now, yeah. <laughs> I, I was more up to date with it than they were, if that makes any sense. 
Mm. until recently. And how about you, Jay? Matt reading Everything is Fine habitually. I was aware of the series. Um, in fact, I think some months ago, Matt actually introduced me to the first few pages of chapter one. I was just like, oh, okay, this is interesting. And then Jacob mentioned he was interested and was like, we should read this for the podcast. So I'm like, okay, that similarly technological like overlords must have heard us discussing it because I got a whole lot of recommendations. Similarly, um, I got react videos, I got YouTube ads, I got email ads, I got everything. And I'm just like, okay, this is a little creepy, but yep, read it. it, it <laughs> It's strangely thematic for what this ends up being, but it's also kind of sad because I got the perfect kind of and the perfect amount of ads. I mention it in a Discord call and then suddenly two of uh, my co-hosts are inundated with way too many and the wrong kind of ads for this type of story. <laughs> uh. Jump into it then, I guess. That's what, that's what the overlords command. It's, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I was only a couple of pages into the series when I recommended it. And like, I almost entirely wanted to feature this series on the show because of the first page. The way that this instills a sense of unease so completely without doing anything sucked me in so fast. You start with a character sitting up in bed, clearly like sitting up and awake, and the clock is at 2.59. So, okay, somebody's up late. Then a minute passes and the time changes to 2.60, which is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the person sitting up in bed is like hits the alarm as the alarm is going off and is like, oh, time to get ready for the day. If it's 2.59 a.m., then that's the middle of the night. If it's 2.59 p.m., that's the middle of the afternoon. So again, that's just wrong. And then the person gets up, like the characters are already pretty stylized, but the character gets up and then you get a full shot of them. And they have this weird, like, teddy bear mask face thing. It looks like a Disney mascot. The way that, like, the negative space is used, like, you know, the title of the, and then the title of the series, Everything is Fine, comes up and distinctly not. <laughs> Everything about all of these images is wrong. <laughs> and that, that sucked me in so completely. I just, like, oh, that yeah. was so good. I gotta say, I am a huge fan of uncanny valley horror mm. like I'm, I'm not big on jump scares or slasher stuff or gore or whatever but if it's the sort of like uncanny valley creeping sense of dread horror then that is the stuff that activates my almonds and this immediately was like everything is fine except it it really obviously isn't and the fact that it obviously isn't and nobody's acknowledging it got my spine to shudder. Oh, that's also kind of the problem, though, because one of the characters is acknowledging it. The character who we've been watching so far is revealed to be Sam. He is the prototypical, like, no man relation. of the house. <laughs> he's, he's the prototypical man of the house, like, 1950s uh, sitcom rules mm -hmm. is basically how this works. So he's like, oh, honey, I gotta get my dinner. Are you... Got up. He's nineteen. That's 1920s voice is not the best. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it's like uh, we gotta get the brick. Uh, gotta get breakfast and then uh, head off to work, honey. Yep. And um, Maggie, who is his wife, uh, is just burning everything because she is just zoning out while cooking. 
And like, it, it's very clear that Sam is trying to keep going through breakfast as if it's normal, but it's also Maggie is not. She's not about it. She is absent from the situation and is constantly having to be brought back into reality. <laughs> Playing the part is what it comes down to. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. it's it's very clear very early on that they're all like playing the part of the like classic suburbia white picket fence like lifestyle. There's a sense that gets paid off that they are being forced to perform this even behind closed doors, uh -huh. that all of their life is this this mm -hmm. farce. I got to say, one of my favorite things about this comic is the giant, you know, Disneyland mascot masks. They're omnipresent. They're on every character and they all have the exact same expression, which means that the beat panels where you would see the like facial reactions, the physical facial reactions of a character, they're still there. They're still in the comic, but you don't see an expression. You'll have like chains of scenes where two characters are like reacting to each other, but it's just the same picture over and over again. It's uh-huh it's unnerving it, it's very unnerving and, and well, there's... it's so tense because um one of the things that ends up being a through line and i was going to mention this too because this is so good there are a lot of cases where there's like a lot of like intrigue to the story and that's where a lot of the tension comes from and a character will either say or do something and then it will cut to the other character's reaction and it's like there's context clues to know okay they're either horrified or they know what's going on or they're angry because they you know want to play this role or whatever like and it's like there's like context clues all throughout the rest of like what people's actual opinions of various things are but you can never see it and a lot of those panels of like where you should be seeing the expression but you can't because of the masks they're moments in the dialogue which are it's it's the same sort of effect you get when you watch like an amateur play of actors who don't really know their lines needing to pause actively think of what they need to say next and then do it and pretend that it was natural Hmm. having been a high school theater kid i know this vibe <laughs> yeah um because like the other thing that's that's really interesting is the art style is really interesting because it's stylized so it's hard to tell what's real what stylization and what is that uncanny valley intentional artifice which is it so builds on what makes the the like the panel composition so good because like they have they have four fingers like they have the three fingers and a thumb like sort of uh old timey cartoon hand mm -hmm. um and their proportions are not like wrong per se but they're like they're stylized they're proportions like the body language is very much there and there'll be cases where you know someone will break character and everyone has to like think about the script and certain characters like you know you'll see them like set their shoulders and there's a, like an aggressive vibe but again you can't see the face and that's where so much of what you'd be reading in these characters comes from that what is underneath that mask you know what is the expression underneath and that's a lot of what happens in this early morning breakfast scene between samuel and maggie for, for the sake of the distinction between myself and the character i'm gonna call him samuel uh, I, I think we could go. I don't think that's his name is the problem. <laughs> well, I think we could go with Sammy because Sammy is something that Maggie will call him. Yeah. So that way we can make the distinction. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Sammy and Maggie 
they have their uh domestic early morning routine oh no she fried the bacon what an airhead ha 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 i'll he'll just have cereal instead i do like it extra crispy but i think this is even a little too far gone for me <laughs> might as well give it to the dog yeah let's give it to winston oh winston hasn't been hungry lately <laughs> Yeah, that lazy dog, he barely even gets up. Which is actually how the first um, page ends is, uh, Winston. Winston, come here. Uh, Maggie, like, full on knocks a mug off the table and it shatters on the floor and spills coffee everywhere. And she's like, Winston, come clean this up. Like, come, like, lick up the coffee, I guess, which having had a small hyperactive dog, I don't think giving one coffee is a good idea, but... <laughs> Also, what she had done in her morning chores was dump Winston's full food bowl out in the trash and refill it. Uh-huh. The first glimpse that we see of Winston is the the shot does not go low enough to actually see the dog. You just see a vague shape that is kind of dog-shaped and flies buzzing above it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the first glimpse that you get of Winston. And the whammy shot at the end of the chapter is a rotting canine corpse. Yep. And like everything is fine. The fur is gone. The skin is like leather. The lips are peeled back and desiccated. You can see. You can the... see most of its skull is the weird. Uh -huh. Like this is a weird amount of decay for something in their home. Mm -hmm. That you could definitely smell. I I don't know about that because they have those heads yeah they have the weird mask thing so maybe they can't smell it it would be Can hard the to head, do the heads have noses we don't <laughs> yeah that's know. another question that mike needs to answer those are the real yeah, lore questions we need to know <laughs> it is mike this is being recorded after your q a but you need to answer that <laughs> <laughs> maggie becomes our perspective character mostly from this point forward as she goes to a uh, a playground in a park and has uh, a little remembrance scene where she imagines a small child swinging on the swings. She sure does like the park, doesn't she? She sure does like that park as she gets a call from Sammy on her phone. Well, and that's a, such a good scene where it's clear it, mm -hmm. what Sammy is saying on the other side of the line is so much more like lore impactful. But because it's only like the second chapter, you're not telling the audience that. So he's just like, what are you doing at the park, Maggie? This is really bad. And she's like, I just like the park, Sammy. It's like, and we only get her point of view. So early on in the series, it's such a good scene of just like, well, I'm just going to stare at this empty park. Oh, look, there's another woman on that bench over there. Blinking, she's gone. Huh, weird. Uh, I'm definitely not reminiscing about the past. No siree, Bob. Forget. <laughs> forget, forget, forget. Forget is a, forget forget. a bit of a theme going throughout. Yeah. It's a byword, yeah. Maggie starts to forget as she goes on her little shopping trip to um was it was it Food Mart or Box Store? I think it was, it was just food store. Mart. Or was it Food oh, Mart? Oh yeah. I, I don't think they differentiated like food. Like it was just the store. Well, here's because... the thing. I characters refer to multiple stores, but then when we go in the stores, they all look identical and they all sell all products. Because mm -hmm. things are on yes. shelves mm -hmm. in alphabetical order. Like, to the... Yes. Labeled product. To the point that, like, cans of tuna are above, like, oh, it's um, toilets or something? It's... 
No, no, no. I I, know, I remember what it's. It's um the aluminum foil is under foil and it's under fish, and by fish I mean fish mm-hmm. in full fish tanks. Because that's how you sell them. <laughs> yeah, I yeah I remember that shot. Yep. And like one of the one of the okay. So one of the really weird panels that's kind of stuck with me is like an example of why this world is wrong is while Maggie's shopping, she goes to pick up some tuna and like it's all the same generic uh, uniform tuna cans, except one of them is labeled in Japanese. I'm pretty sure it's Mm -hmm. Japanese. Yeah, you want to let us know what that said? (laughs) Tuna. Oh, it literally just it was late. It was. It was it was the katakana for um, tuna, tuna. All right. So yeah, that's yeah. an important that's an important thing though, because like you know, mm-hmm. does it say something else or is she just you know seeing it in a different language? Because uh... yeah, but there's like a shot reverse shot of this tuna can with the katakana on it, and then Maggie, and then back to the can or back to the shelf, and the can's in English. Yeah, it's, it's a it's simulation. Spooky. It's a simulation. It, it, it's it got hella Matrix vibes, yeah. Oh man, someone in the Matrix uh, did the code for big head mode. <laughs> <laughs> that explains everything. This is all the internet's fault. This is what happens when you use those mods. This is how the characters feel. That guy over there, he's going up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. No, stop. Oh no, now he's got infinite <laughs> ammo. <laughs> they're, they're out here playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. <laughs> um i will say i i wasn't sure where i'd have the opportunity to mention this so i might as well just mention it here a lot of the like really little details of the early pages i i have a little bit of trouble remembering because my experience with this series when i first found it i read it so slowly and matt i remember when we were talking about maybe putting this on the uh schedule one of the things that you mentioned that i think is the perfect way of describing it this is the perfect kind of uh web horror series for webtoon because it dares you to scroll down like it will present you with something totally freaking mundane with incredibly ominous framing and you're like is this going to be a lore thing is it going to be a spooky thing or is this going to be objectively horrifying like desiccated dog horrifying and i read the first couple of pages super slow and then i was super happy we put it on the reading list because now it's like well i better get through it (laughs) (laughs) It, those fears it forced me it forced me to confront looming fear of the scroll oh man but uh, yeah, so we're at um, Boxco, Big Mart. I, I don't remember what the exact pun is, but it's purposefully generic. Well, and, so. they, and it also purposely blends together. Like, yeah. it's hard to tell space and time in this place, which is intentional. Yeah, but essentially, um, while Maggie is shopping, uh, she runs into her neighbor, Charlie, who, um, interestingly enough, has a shopping cart full of foil. <laughs> big tinfoil hat vibes yep. yeah and, uh, immediately when i saw the foil i'm like i see where this is going this was the point where i'm like okay so uh full I disclosure theory started brewing started brewing full disclosure i hadn't actually picked up on like the um i i didn't think it was like going to go government conspiracy at this point because w- in all fairness we don't actually see like the big brother cameras 
until after the next little bit is revealed. So it's just kind of like the implication of it. I thought this was going to go more down like a Stepford Wives kind of thing of like when they introduce Charlie, there's like a brief hint of romantic tension between him and Maggie. And I'm like, oh, is this going to be like she doesn't like yeah. this mundane life and she's going to break out and then the universe itself is going to rebel against her? Uh, it quickly not be being about that but that's why i didn't care that charlie just had a shopping cart full of tinfoil i was like "Ooh, he's the weird guy who's not part of the system and then like i, I don't know what i thought this was gonna be is what i'm trying to get so, across here <laughs> i thought it was a bit of both because i also saw a bit of attraction going on or curiosity between maggie and charlie but yeah, at the thought... same time with all the crazy kooky weirdness that was going on and the tinfoil and i'm like this guy knows what's up this is the guy who would be my friend in an apocalypse also full, full disclosure the the comic also wants you to pick up on that oh yeah because like, that yeah. gets reinforced oh, later is the thing i was gonna mention yeah. all i'm saying is there is a scene later involving uh sammy maggie and charlie and it makes me think is this a sex thing <laughs> <laughs> i mean you're not I it always comes back to that Sam. Always <laughs> comes back to that. I can't help who I am, Jay. <laughs> Look, I I the overmanga cast doesn't kink shame a lot of things, but I think like 1984 fascism we can just draw a line on, right? We're, we're not we're gonna kink shame the hell out of that. No 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 no, we're kink shaming that. Yeah. Okay, good. That is a bad and you are bad for liking it. <laughs> not nineteen eighty-four, to be clear. The, the fascism inherent in it. Yeah. <laughs> to circle back to the actual point of this, one of the things is, and I think that you can, like, I think there are cameras in the background of some select shots because they show, like, the the wide shot of the neighborhood. Like, but, like the thing that's weird about the it park. is... There, there's cameras at places where cameras make sense. Is yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And the thing for like the wide shot where you could theoretically notice that like, why are there all these security cameras in every single direction? The thing that's spooky about that shot is the uniformity of every single house going on to the vanishing point. And so you don't really think about the fact that there are cameras on, you know, like there are way too many cameras on every single post going down the street. You're paying attention to the, you know, the the breadth of the shot. And then you have Charlie coming in. And, you know, there's a couple of cases where there is a a really noticeable tension between Maggie and Charlie. And again, because it's stylized, what's real and what's like, we don't even know at this point if all of this could be in in somebody's imagination for all we know. Like this yeah. could be how how a, del, a a deluded mind sees the world or something and the bear masks aren't even there at all. Like that's at this point that's what I thought. I thought this was like Maggie's delusion was she feels trapped in like this sitcom. Obviously it veers away from that but like well, that's kind of It does also have that element. It's just it also <laughs> does other things in addition. <laughs> There's a lot of places this could go, and it went a direction. I just, <laughs> I theorized the wrong way. I admit that. But anyway, to bring this uh, 1950s sitcom uh, plot to a, like, roundabout, uh, as Maggie comes home from uh, the grocery store with her groceries, uh, with a baguette in the bag, because how else will you know it's a bag of groceries? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Despite the fact everything else is canned, but bread isn't canned, so I guess that's cool. <laughs> Like later we have a character. 
Yeah, like later we have a character go like, I found cans of salad, and I'm like, oh, ew. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they mean like potato salad. Maybe. Or like coleslaw. I think you're giving him a lot of benefits for the town of what I'm just trying to not make this absolutely disgusting. Let me live my fantasy. Okay, fair. But anyway. um, (laughs) Everything is fine. (laughs) The the preppy neighbors, um, Bob and Linda. Which are the waspiest names I can think of. Um, <laughs> or just like, hey, Maggie, how you doing? You and Sammy gonna come over and join us for a little bit of a dinner party? I'm pretty sure, like, Sam, uh, Sammy arrives and, like... Yeah, I ain't going like, anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't going anywhere near these wackos. Well, the, the first thing that happens is uh, Charlie also comes home from the store at the exact same time, which... A little weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very convenient that Maggie and Charlie came home from the store at the same time. But yeah, whatever. Because Charlie was going there for the one thing. He, Charlie was leaving as Maggie was still shopping, but it, it builds the tension of the scene. So it doesn't matter. Like it's. And yeah. again, time and space is warped in this insane world. I, <laughs> and also with the retrospective of having read as far as we do, we know there's stuff outside of the suburbia. And we don't know what else Charlie was doing then. Probably Mm. nothing, really. Charlie is wandering back inside with his, like, entire two bagfuls of aluminum foil. And Bob just goes, huh, that's kind of weird. Hey, Charlie, you coming over to uh, have a dinner party with And Charlie's just like, don't want to. I'm busy. Model trains. Are you just going to hang out in your basement like a loser? I... I'm really adding a lot of personality to Bob that he does not have intrinsically. Uh, <laughs> well, he, he he gains a personality later on, but it's certainly not this I, personality. I, I'm adding later Bob's personality into his very mundane speech right here, because it's it's literally like a sitcom strip of like, hey, we'd really like you to come over to dinner. It's just like, oh, I don't know. I'm busy. It's just like, come on. <laughs> and come on. Oh, you friend. know what? I think this is the first time we see the red eye take effect because Charlie's like, I do not want to engage in social interactions with my neighbor. And upon doing that, red eyes and goes, no, I must engage in social interactions with my neighbor. Particularly uh, one of their eyes uh, Mm -hmm. turns red. Which um, we see later on seems to happen anytime someone does something that goes against script. Like something is happening that... This is kind of narrating a little. I'm assuming it's some form of punishment for what they just did. Like breaking Hmm. script is I I think that's a fair assumption. Given what we learn about red status later, my read of it and and like, okay, you're listening to a podcast discussing this webtoon. There's going to be there's going to be spoilers. So hopefully you've already done the reading. Also, you can literally just go to webtoon right now and read all of it. Because we're posting this after all of season one is free. It's all released. You can just go read it. (laughs) It's free and worth your time. So before we spoil it, if you haven't read it yet, the recommendation is yes, read it. So read it alongside listening to us. You'll probably read faster than we can talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So they're gone. Okay. Let's make fun of them for not being readers. (laughs) So, uh, we learn later what red status is, and it's clear that the people in universe already understand what red status means. 
so i think that red eye doesn't so much cause like a physical pain or like overwrites their free will as it is a flashing warning of you are getting dangerously close to the line we will kill your children if you keep going down this road and it just flashes the it just flashes the red in their eye as you are getting very close well back away from the line Similar read to Sam, just like I never thought it was taking any type of physical control of them. It was just like a warning of you need to assess, assess your behavior because you know what's at stake. It's a very visceral reminder that Big Brother is watching and is currently holding a gun to your child's head. I I was also not claiming that I was just saying at this point in the reading, Mm -hmm. they kind of just stop mid sentence and then correct what they said. Yeah, Yeah. actually, my interpretation and actually it's really interesting because my interpretation up until we learn what red status actually is, it seemed like like a robot being reprogrammed or something like Mm -hmm. that. So it seemed like a like a brain scrambling kind of thing at first. In the context of a first reading, that is what it smacks of. And the thing that I think is is what is actually being done is I think it's literally showing just a picture of whoever is being held. Like that feels to me like the kind of thing that would instantly shut someone up because they haven't seen this person in so long. They see a picture. They stop to look at the picture, remember what that means, and then get back on script. The sort of callous cruelty that this sort of... Mm -hmm mega evil government would do. And I know what you're thinking, dear person who didn't hear it all wording and go read this. One, you should just go read this. Two, just keep listening. We'll find out eventually. Uh, (laughs) Because um, Maggie goes back inside and prepares, gets ready for dinner because Sammy comes home after a long day at the... At the work. At At the the work. At the work, yeah. He, He works at the logistics part of the box factory. They talk about it at dinner. He works at the place that ships it from like one point to another point. Bob works at it from some place that ships it from one point to another point. And Charlie works at the incinerator. And none of them want to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Because what gets incinerated? Who knows? We we actually don't know. We Uh, actually don't know. And that's much scarier. But um, tonight, uh, Maggie is making uh, spaghetti. Mm -hmm. Spaghetti. So forget, but because uh, Maggie has um, with the dinner party really kind of clicked back into I've got to be playing this role. She has convinced herself that everything is fine for the moment being. Uh, she is a very fragile. Everything is fine. But although this does bring about one of the moments that had me going the most. What the fuck? Where uh, she uh, says to um, Sammy, hey, before we eat dinner, could you uh, take out the trash? Yeah, and his first response is to dump rat poison into the trash. Yeah, because it's old rat poison. We need to throw it out anyway. That's not the read. <laughs> That's the claim, though. Yeah, no, it's 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 very much the case where this rat poison is old. Let's throw it out and then pours it out of the can into the bag. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it was that point where I kind of lined up with Sam's read of like they were kind of almost indirectly reading off of a script because it's like they know what they're doing but it's kind of like who's watching and how do i justify this action kind of thing Mm. where it's like yeah that was the point for me that kind of triggered like okay maybe they are being monitored and like are essentially putting on some kind of performance for somebody but anyway 
So uh, Sammy needs to take out the trash. It's dark out, and uh, he hears a noise behind the uh, trash can. He's like, oh, geez, those raccoons. As the uh, the noise behind the trash proves to be a teenage-sized human. <laughs> That's an interesting read. Um, it's a it's, human. Yeah, it's a human. It's hard to tell. It is a human who is smaller than Sammy, who is an adult. I think he might be hunched over is the main thing, why he looks smaller. It, it's, yeah. it doesn't matter. Um, he's, he's crawling combined with the stylization that I didn't read him as a teenager, but like it's not hard to see how you could see that. But yeah. um, the main part I really like about him is uh, his mask has started deteriorating, and you can see they have a human mouth underneath. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that was... Uh, okay, this is a very important thing. Because it is the mouth that is deteriorated away, so you can see the human mouth underneath. And this vagrant is talking pretty freely to Sammy, who notably is not responding. He's not saying anything. This person is saying, that's a garbage bag. It smells poisoned. Well, he doesn't say that yet. He's begging for the garbage to eat. Just don't put it in the can, because I, I think the assumption is the can's lock. Yeah, there's like clasps on it. Yeah, don't put it in the can. Just leave it here. I'll go through it. You don't have to talk to me. You don't have to do anything. I'm not going to jeopardize your status. Just yeah. please, no one will talk to me. No one will give me food. I am starving to death. If you haven't poisoned that garbage, please give it to me. And... Sammy drops the trash bag, turns around, walks inside. And that's when we get the line of like the guy coming up to the window knocking. I was like, hey, hey, it smells like you poisoned this trash. Meanwhile, Maggie's trying to eat down to her spaghetti dinner. Going, and they're both just red eyed, ignoring what's going on outside. And it's so uh -huh. tense. It's so creepy. And like one of the best examples of like a character in the mask not seeing their expression is so tense is because the whole time the vagrant is begging for the trash bag, Sammy is it looks like he's staring at like a, you know, like like blank sidewalk, you know, yeah. like he just stops and he's just not moving at all the whole time. He's standing there staring off into space. And you can't prove otherwise. Sammy and Maggie finish up their dinner and... Well, um, no, they don't. Oh, yeah. They, they, bar they barely get in. No. Like, the dinner is plated. And that's it, mm -hmm. because... While we're not able to get a read of their expressions, we can obviously... Well, my read of the situation was that they were obviously still disturbed, even though they couldn't, you know, vocalize their feelings. They were obviously perturbed by the situation at hand and mm. therefore chose not to, you know, eat their dinner in front of this person who was obviously starving and mm. just yeah, proceed they, as normal. They don't actually eat, but they say, well, dinner's finished. <laughs> like, yes. Well, it, no, it doesn't even get that far. What happens is before they start, Sammy's just like, Hey, Maggie, um, I think Winston needs to go outside. Maggie goes like, are you sure? And he's just like, yeah, he he needs to be let out. He goes, oh, you lazy boy, picks him up and then brings him outside and goes, I'm sorry, Winston. I love you, mm -hmm. boy. Yep, And puts yep. him down because th this is a dead dog, but he is treating he said, it as if this is a dog he is letting outside. Like there's just so much emotion in those in those actions. Though, and that's what I mean. Like they're not able to obviously express their mm -hmm. feeling, but just 
by this this turn of events their actions from then on it's just it just for me it was very very expressive and very i guess vocal without being vocal oh yeah oh i'm not i'm not i'm not afraid to say uh this scene kind of me up a little bit Mm -hmm. yeah because what happens is he closes the door sits back to dinner with his wife as both of them have their spaghetti in front of them and we hear the vagrant outside go like, hey, is this a dog? Wow, it's not poisoned or nothing. Wow, I know what this must mean for you. And then you hear munch, 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 munch. And as this guy is eating their dog directly outside their house. The extremely rotted dog. Yeah, Maggie yes. looks down at her spaghetti, gets up and leaves without saying a thing to Sammy. And I love that scene well what do you even say you she knows what's happening i mean i would lose my appetite too (laughs) she's still mad at him for it though is the thing like the sort of brilliant thing about everything is fine and i'd I'd argue like the selling feature of it there are those sorts of stories that like let's tell a story without dialogue or something like that let's have a series where the like inner thoughts of a character are the inner thoughts of a character are completely obscured because you can't see their face it's all about how people are feeling when they can't express their emotions and words but their face is also covered and expressing that through action and body language and it's like an interesting horror too because the horror isn't really even coming from the fact that like everything is being done in silence the horror also comes in the fact that you've got this like pointless banter that is being pushed on top of everything. Mm-hmm. Like people over explain what they're doing. The fact the vagrant was narrating what he was doing outside was horrific. That's what made that horrible. Mm-hmm. Like everyone feels feels the need to fill the void with sci- with like talking, but not talking about anything. It's just small talk. Yeah. The thing that really got me is so obviously we learn later that the weird Disney mascot helmets have microphones in them and so someone is listening to everything you say the important thing that i noted is that the vagrant's mask has deteriorated or been mutilated to the point where the mouth is gone and and he's talking freely to sammy like no one will ever know if you just don't say anything and give me the trash. Yeah, if there's a if there's a receiver somewhere in the little mouth section. Yeah, so the microphone has to be in the little mouth section. So this vagrant can talk freely, even if he still has the habit of talking to fill the silence and read the script. I, hmm. I don't know if that's what he's worried about at that point, because I think if he's been fully read status... You have nothing. He has nothing. He has nothing else to lose. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I, it, that's true. It could be either or, but like the it it comes around to the same like narrative place of mm-hmm. like he's been browbeaten into that habit by the situation that they're all in, which is again genuinely horrifying, absolute nightmare. Um, I recall this is so random, but it's it's one of my favorite quotes in the first Digimon World game. Uh, No, I know it's random. Seriously, this is relevant. Um, Late in the series, you meet a character who says to you, things can go wrong and, you know, folks will like survive and be able to move on. But when people stop realizing that the situation is wrong, that's when all hope is lost. You know, in that game, it's that, you know, the Digimon were becoming more and more wild and less and less civilized. But like in this case, it's the same idea where 
everyone's forced to play these parts to the point where they lose who they were outside of the character they're forced to play. It's so dehumanizing. It, it's, uh, it's another way of saying the classic line of evil flourishes when good men do nothing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the crisis Maggie is going through currently because we, mm-hmm. uh, we immediately jump cut to the morning of the dinner party. I don't think Sammy goes to work today, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. So I, I don't know. What's... It, it's a day off. Sure, why not? <laughs> it, it fits. But um, look, he uh, wakes up. He wakes up at two sixty in the morning. Time is. We we don't actually weird. know if two sixty is in the morning because That's the, the sun is the sun is like normally up. You know, the sun is high in the sky at that point, and it's like okay. He actually looks like he's getting up a little late to go to work. In all fairness, from where the sun is, but Maggie is she's holding Winston's collar. And just like, it's like she's fully coming to terms with the fact he's been dead for a long time to mm-hmm. be in that and, condition. And like, it's like she finally just breaks the script and just like, no, I'm going to do what I want. And she then has a f- scene. Also, did um you guys notice uh, Maggie's got like a sweet uh, thigh tat during this oh, scene? Yeah. No, I noticed yeah. that. Yeah, it only shows up here, and it's like, oh, that's another thing that, like, breaks this 1950s sitcom aesthetic. Like, she's got, like, a yeah. pretty large one, too. And That's something I noticed. It's, like, characters who exist outside the script or who are, or who, like, the script says have more authority are allowed customization. We, we will get to the thing about the cops later. <laughs> and, like... Uh. The thing is, she puts on, like, a real provocative red dress. In-universe description is she is a bombshell. Mm-hmm. Sammy comes in and is just like, hey, we're going to this dinner party. Oh, and he is floored. He is unable to describe this dress. And it's also a very strong indication of, like, you should probably wear something more sensible. <laughs> Please mm-hmm. don't do this. I think she looks great. She, yeah, she, she does look great, great but she, he's also like, that's not the point, what, please. She don't. looks too good is the yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. One of the like really gut-wrenchingly hideous things, and, and it's not even scary, it's just impossibly sad. It's the implication that Sammy and Maggie have been living in this false reality for so long that even though Winston is long dead, pretending his corpse was alive was a comfort to them and giving the corpse to the vagrant as sustenance made winston really dead yeah. it, it forced uh, yes. the reality of the death onto them they they were uh-huh. she, maggie mm-hmm. even though she seems to be breaking with this false reality was still pretending winston was alive mm-hmm. she was still yep playing a part she was still faking it it's when winston finally dies she stops caring she puts on this red red dress when she gets to the dinner party she just only asks for straight vodka which (laughs) please don't do that at a dinner party the host will talk about you straight vodka didn't they have like the options were they don't even have this is this is addressed early like later but they don't even have like any type of liquor it's just wine and beer do they have beer yeah, it's just wine. I don't think like there's no there's no liquor. I kind of I they don't react as if liquor is something banned, or, yeah, actively taboo or something. 
but it's like it's like hey who wants a glass of water i want vodka like uh-huh. just completely non sequitur oh no this entire the beginning of the dinner party when they finally um because there's a one scene i want to talk about first when as she's getting dressed she's like sammy zip me up and as his hand is on her back like zipping up the back of her dress she just goes it's been a long time sammy and he's just like we we cannot and she's just like yeah we can and then walks away and i'm like ooh, she's burn like mm-hmm. Unpack this, boys. It, it really drives home just how dehumanizing their situation is. They can't even do the most basic function of life, which <laughs> is reproduce. They probably actually can't, but it, it's a really good scene because it's literally just those three lines. And it's so powerful because she just walks out of the room like, uh-huh. oh, burn, man. Like, jeez. It's so awkward, the dinner party, because the entire time it's Sammy is really awkward. Sammy is trying to play along and everything he says, Maggie either just she either doesn't react or almost intentionally goes off script like, it, like it, out of spite. Like this is a really weird cut that only like 10 percent of our listening audience will get. It's like when you're hanging out without that uh, couple friends you're with, like the friends who are a couple and you can tell they're going to break up soon, but they haven't yet. It's like that weird, like digging in at each other and they <laughs> they can't let anything positive be said about the other. Yeah, like no, I know exactly what you're talking about. It is that energy. Mm hmm. Uh, well, okay. I mean, I guess I can't really say except because this comes up later that Sammy and Maggie reconnect. Well, that, that's not the energy here. The energy is Maggie is fully done with this relationship right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's the that's the sort of nice part about it because, like, at this point, Sammy is very much still like like there like obviously there's the whole horror of what happened to winston and that like that obviously affected him too it seems like he's more okay with the situation and you know having you know read the entire thing we know what red status means but at this point the audience doesn't know with know what red status means and again the stylization it's hard to tell what's real what stylization what is the uncanny valley nature of this like extremely artificial situation and it almost does kind of seem like a marital issues moment when in reality maggie being done with the farce is obvious enough but it's hard to tell what sammy's Mm -hmm. take on everything that's going on is you know because they have the horrifying bear mask things And like my favorite part about this conversation is it's like a good comedic buildup. The first thing is um, uh, she walks in. Bob's just like, oh, man, you look really good, uh, Maggie. But uh, it's so the AC is so high in our house. Maybe uh, you can uh, go wear one of uh, Linda's coats. And she's like, I'm fine. And it it just progresses of her shooting things down and like people trying to like, nope, we're having a fun dinner party. You're not ruining this. Just like and she's just not on here and like. Sammy's is like, oh, well, I guess I'm drinking for two. <laughs> I got to drive home. And then they're all just laughing at these stupid jokes that no one thinks is funny. And like, no, my my favorite bit is that, like, Bob asks if they want liquor and Sam's like, haha, no, I got to drive home. And Bob's like, you do? N- no, Bob, obviously not. We're neighbors. I live across the street. <laughs> and then, oh, oh, Sammy, you're such a joker. That's Bob's whole gimmick is he doesn't get jokes and then laughs at the t- <laughs> he, he laughs at the jokes after they get explained, mm-hmm. because why are you not understanding the joke? Yeah, that's not according to the script. 
Robert. They just keep going, and, like, it keeps building up again and again and again with Maggie just shooting down more. Linda comes in just like, hey, Maggie, that dress is a little drafty, isn't it? She's like, I'm fine. And it's just such, like, hardcore shutting down conversation to finally they go like, hey, how's that little uh, rascal you have, uh, Winston? He was eaten. And there's a solid pause as no one is able to deal with how drastically this line is not okay. Uh-huh. It's like, nope, well, how do we, this, uh, nope, no. and then finally Linda just goes, oh, I know what you mean. He's just so adorable. You ate him all up. And it doesn't even seem like Linda's okay with that explanation. It's just like, yeah, that's totally what I meant. Yep, that's, that's a thing normal people say. I don't care anymore. <laughs> like eventually, Charlie arrives as Linda is doing this, where it's like Linda's not paying attention to anything anyone says. Well, it's, it's finally Sammy has to just go like, hey, Maggie, stop it. This is uh -huh. ridiculous. You're throwing a tantrum. We are not in a situation you can do this. We're doing this for her. And like that finally breaks through like, no, yeah, I'm upset my dog died, but that is not worth what is clearly on the line here. And then she switches back to playing along. And that's when, hey, everyone, it's Charlie. 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 A sitcom entrance. Yeah. <laughs> finally pulled yourself away from those model trains, huh? And like for reasons that diegetically even kind of track, it's very WandaVision when Charlie shows up. Yeah, because like, I'm like again, like the stuff with the tinfoil, Charlie obviously knows exactly what's going like. You don't know. Like, that's the other fun thing about the situation is you don't know how aware of the truth of the situation any character is until they say or do something. Mm hmm. Because like, um, you know, Bob being like, we're doing this for her is a big moment for him because like, obviously, like he's not like he's not delusional or um, ignorant of of how weird things are. He's just playing the part that hard. Here's the guy who seems to care about playing the part even less than Maggie does shows up. Yeah, in his hoodie. And they're like, oh, Charlie, you're really dressed up for the occasion. I always wear this. <laughs> yep <laughs> i love i loved charlie i think he might be my favorite character he, he was my favorite yeah, character my af af <laughs> he's my favorite <laughs> character after he spends the this awkward small talk section ignoring the people around him to hit on mackie <laughs> yeah that's mm -hmm. definitely how this scene is framed it's probably not what's actually going on knowing like the full course of the story but this arc is definitely just like hey you want to get out of here like, I think to a large extent, that is that is actually the way that Maggie is legitimately reading it, because like mm -hmm. the way that she reacts to uh, like the way that Charlie is like very particularly only paying attention to her, this really weird like domestic tension to it that like does not track with all of the really disturbing nonsense that we'd seen previously. Since everyone's here at the party, they all sit down for dinner. Linda has been spending the good portion of today on a lovely roast. Or it's a ham, isn't it? It doesn't matter. It's sitcom yeah. food. Uh, <laughs> they have Maggie say, oh, it's like some weird, like non-secular thankfulness gift like yeah it was really creepy. grace for people living in Ingsoc. corporate thanks message like the most like sanitized thing you could say 
And essentially uh-huh. what they're forcing Maggie to say is essentially, I agree that the system is great. Yeah, it was give me really creepy vibes. I was actually kind of scared for like them to actually eat this because there was a tension there of, oh, crap, is this poisoned? Yeah. Oh, crap, is this the vagrant? <laughs> At least for me, my read, was, <laughs> yeah. my read was that like, is this poisoned? Because immediate like, so taking it back to when they were first invited to this neighbor, like, uh, dinner like at this point i already knew that charlie was an outcast and i wasn't quite sure how eye to eye you know sam and maggie and bob and and linda got along i felt there was some tension there initially and the fact that they were kind of i think it was because maggie had hinted early on that she didn't really want to go to this dinner but Mm. there was an obligation to go to this dinner so it was kind of that hesitance to go to the dinner like it didn't give me the impression that this was like oh a weekly thing of like oh it's our turn to have you guys over for dinner or something there's an unsafeness to it yes exactly so the fact they invited them the fact that baggy exhibited some hesitancy and the fact they invited charlie who at this point i think is pretty established as being outside of the norm was invited and the fact that charlie also expressed some hesitancy there of attending I was t- almost, I mean, obviously those um, feelings were somewhat justified, I guess, but there was some justification to these feelings. But my, I, I felt that pretty early on. I'm just like, I wouldn't be eating this food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was just going to say, I wouldn't put, Bob and, put it past Bob and Linda to poison the food like that. That seems like something they do. Especially when it was revealed that, you know, rat poison existed in this world. Yeah. I was just kind of like, oh, no, they like openly poison people in this world. That's that's the fun of a dinner party. It's real hard to poison a specific person. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because they all they all eat a ham. That's like a single thing carved for each piece. It's yeah. It's when they all start eating. It is the point where uh... we need to talk about when they all start eating, because despite the fact we've had three meals at this point this is the first time on panel anyone eats because every other meal has been interrupted with someone leaving so uh, about that whole uncanny valley nature of this comic um yeah the mouth of the mask slips down as if it's like a mechanical door and then you see their tiny teeth their teeth teeth. don't give me Oh my god, this reminds me of that one cutscene from Adventure Time. Tiny teeth! Tiny teeth! <laughs> the tiny teeth holes and they the meat is just like slapping blood splatters everywhere. It's like, oh, uh-huh. I, it's supposed to be gravy, I assume, but like it, it's just very like animalistic. It's very disgusting, yes. Anyway, they, they have that horrible scene where they eat dinner through the tiny teeth holes. Um... And then they have some small talk where uh, Bob and Linda reveal that this has not been a dinner. This has been a presentation for their MLM. Huh? We want you to buy knives. A recruitment for their conspiracy. <laughs> Look, all you need to do is recruit two other people and then you'll be making money. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit of tautology there with those two takes because uh, it's kind of... Uh... Essentially what Bob and Linda are saying is there is a special community called Lakeview, that only the best of the best are allowed to go to, and how do you prove you're the best, most loyal citizen? Well, I can only assume that by tattling on your neighbors. (laughs) And you know that old lady down the street? 
well, she's kind of weird. We're thinking about telling on her, but we'd need someone to back us up. And obviously we'd remember what you did. So can we trust you to back us up? And then Sammy's just like, well, I don't normally go in for these backdoor shenanigans. Yeah, this is fine. It's totally, totally okay. We're all in on this together, right? Uh, Sammy, Maggie, Charlie. Yeah. And then they all toast. And then Maggie goes to the bathroom and like has a weird flashback to three toothbrushes in the cup and is like splashing her face with water uh, when Mm -hmm. there is a knock on the door and Charlie's there and he's like, hey, can we talk in the bathroom? And I'm like, good. I want to see these bear masks make out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying I thought the same thing, but I thought the same thing. On the creepiness scale, where does that like set against the them eating scene? But uh, that's not actually what happens. No, uh, Charlie essentially comes into the bathroom and is essentially just like, Maggie, do you like uh, do you like trains? Why, yes, I love trains. Oh, would you like to come down to my basement where no one can hear us so we can... (laughs) Play with trains. Is that a euphemism or something, Charlie? (laughs) It's really easy to understand how you could misinterpret, how indeed Maggie in particular (laughs) could misinterpret what's going on. That's the thing. Maggie has to be misinterpreting what's going on. Like, she doesn't know. She definitely doesn't know what he's really talking about. Like, Maggie's just done with her marriage. And it's like. Or. Best thing ever. She legitimately really likes trains. And we're just really perverts. Maggie's <laughs> like, I need a new hobby. I, I've fully gone bored into the fact my child and dog are gone forever. You know, maybe if I just had a hobby like trains. Oh man, this guy's really cool. We could be friends. <laughs> Jane, knowing you and I, the idea of ju- we just might really be perverts m- makes sense. <laughs> That's a legitimate Whoa. read. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. Never have you said something more wrong, but more true, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm right. <laughs> I'm, I'm completely normal. I don't know. I don't know what he's talking about by being a pervert. I'd like to refer to 15 minutes ago when um, uh, Jay claimed Charlie is my main. Yes. <laughs> you chose to put a sexual spin on that. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, their uh, secret bathroom rendezvous uh, is revealed through a hole in the painting to be watched by someone in a bear mask, which through context clues could only be Linda. But there are subtle differences between the actual bear masks that you can usually tell them apart just by the mask the, itself. Unfortunately, the angle and lighting in this scene are very hard. Yeah, the 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 lighting makes it hard, but... It it is definitely Linda. Mm-hmm. It could only be Linda. Is mm-hmm. is really the thing? She also wants in on the screen action. L- Linda was spying through her bathroom creep hole, which is really convenient that Charlie decided to do something anti-government because otherwise, <laughs> Linda's just a creep. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean that. I, yes, uh, <laughs> this was a pre-existing hole in your bathroom. <laughs> Oh man, this was just my fetish, but now this gets me good boy points. <laughs> <laughs> the next day happens, and Sam has work the next, or Sammy has work the next day, which yeah, he had a day Sam off. Does have so. work the next day? Yes. How'd you know? He's in your head, Sam. Yep. And and Maggie <laughs> goes over to her. Oh, that's the other thing we get established is uh, Charlie works the night shift. 
which right real inconsiderate for his neighbors to invite him to a dinner party not something i'd put past bob and linda hey do you want to go to a dinner party my shift starts at eight oh that's good you'll be done by 7 55 guys (laughs) i need to sleep (laughs) anyway um maggie heads over to charlie's for a perfectly normal uh encounter to look at some trains Look at his trains. Yeah, for a perfectly normal train building sesh. The way Sam said it, the the most lewd. (laughs) Yeah, that's what we call them. We call them train building seshes. (laughs) Look, fortunately, an authority figure shows up to prevent all of this uh, shenanigans. I'm I'm just saying someone needs to be the engine, someone needs to be the freight, and then I can be the caboose. (laughs) That is... um, no, take this out of my head. Future Sam, just, just, just remove my entire voice track. <laughs> your, your entire, your entire audio track is just gone now, Matt. Well, I have caught it. Hey guys, who's the real winner here? I get to leave. <laughs> I guess. Anyway, we'll, I guess we'll just have to forget about our other host. Who? Yeah, I'm trying. I don't, I don't trying. know anyone by that name. I don't know anyone by that name. Guys, you gotta acknowledge me, please. I need attention. Anyway, uh, Officer Tom is a thing. <laughs> yes, Officer Tom arrives uh, right as Charlie, in a way that is totally not the least bit creepy, says, Hey, Maggie, let's go to the basement. <laughs> I said my bit about authority figures and being able to customize earlier. This is the first instance of that because Officer Tom, the police officer, has a mustache, which appears to just be glued on to the creepy bear mask thing. That's weird. Also, can we just stop right here? Have we fully committed to them being bear masks? Because I still think they're cat masks. I honestly don't know. They look like teddy bears to me, but they could be cats. But this is a great question for Mike to answer. Maybe if Mike answered his Q&A that he probably did by the point this episode comes out. (laughs) We would know. But we don't because we record these in advance. (laughs) Does it really matter? This is an important lore question. Look, if they're cats, we need to know because they have nine lives and that means characters are coming back. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, that'll be relevant soon. But for right now, Officer Tom has just arrived and notably before Maggie can go in the basement. The tension of all of the Maggie and Charlie's house stuff is just spectacular because what is in the freaking basement, man? <laughs> you know, and then um, a police officer shows up at the door. And by this point, they've actually emphasized like the, the the cameras are everywhere element of like the whole like Big Brother conspiracy. Like it's it's gone in that direction explicitly by this yeah. point. So an authority figure in association with the government showing up at your front door is obviously a bad sign. So, yeah, I'll just um, jump this in here. Uh, like, this is where, like, it's something I complain about every time I read a webtoon, so it's not necessarily a knock against the series, but this is, this, like, string of series with Officer Tom is where we really hit the stride of, like, a chapter has to end on, but what is this cliffhanger? Dun, dun, dun. And then the next, the next page opens up with the exact same thing leading into it, and... Most of the times it's good, but some of the times it's like, what is that thing? And then it immediately gets resolved in like the next panel. And I'm like, okay, so it was a fake cliffhanger, which I I get. 
But like, mm -hmm. I don't have as much of a problem with that format that Webtoon does as you do. You know, I just I find it less irksome. I think, though, in this case, I actually appreciated that. Even going back to the first page, like the um, 259 turns into 260. The the level to which everything is wrong in everything is fine. I feel that like fake release of tension actually builds into the atmosphere of the story in this particular case. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even saying it was a specific knock against the series. It's just right. this this arc right here is where this because this comic wasn't like this for the first arc. It does do that hardcore here, and there are cases where the the end of one, like the the last like um, the the, the thing they end on, the last one is the thing they start with the next. Yeah, and like that's not even my main problem. My problem is when that tension is resolved within the next panel. Of like, no, we were just kidding about that being an actual mm. like cliffhanger, mm -hmm. which happens mostly with the police officers. They're like. Here's an intimidating question. And then like the next chapter is, I didn't mean that in an intimidating way. And I'm like, here's an intimidating question. Here's an innocuous answer. Well, I have a very important question to ask you. Dun, dun, dun. Hey, what are you having on your pizza? Like that doesn't uh, feel great as a reader. Honestly, I think for doing a soft world building, establishing of the vibe thing, I think it works. But I do understand where you're coming from. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm of the same opinion as Sam in this case, where I felt that it I felt that it was fitting with the the style of tension that everything was fine, everything is fine is doing, but that is that is a common thing that webtoons do, and you know the Officer Tom sequence in Charlie's house does do that really really hard. The Officer Tom is where it's worst, is why I'm bringing it up here. Which I'm yeah. okay with the rest of it. It's just. Yeah, this part really became like color by the numbers webtoon for me, but yeah, it gets better. So like. Understandable, uh, getting back to this scene, one of the things that I really liked about this moment was um, one of the things that immediately happens when Officer Tom arrives. Charlie knows that there's no way out of this for him. Maggie has no idea what's going on at all. The audience has no idea what's going on at all. And Charlie just starts saying, can Maggie leave? She knows nothing. She has mm -hmm. nothing to do with any of this. She didn't see anything. Maggie thought this was an affair. Like, seriously. <laughs> you get nothing by by hurting her here. You know, the thing that's that's like spooky about it is that like Charlie is trying to like actively maintain not just Maggie's innocence, but specifically her ignorance. And he yeah. wants her to leave the entire, you know, house. No, it 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 builds up some tension immediately because Charlie switches immediately. Charlie does not even attempt to save his own skin here. He knows that is a foregone conclusion. Mm. It is bad. Begging that Maggie be given leniency. Like there are two places in Everything is Fine where they do a lot of like really hardcore build up to like this big secret. The first one is what the hell is the basement thing? It's one of those cases where like a lot of series can do the build up really well, but you have to have something that actually feels satisfying as a payoff. I personally feel that both of them work. But like, man, they really build like what is in his basement? Well, they 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 build it up. All right. Like it is. Oh, yeah. The, like we don't find out what his basement is when Charlie gets arrested after <laughs> the police officer goes down into the basement. We just get immediately like, well, that's pretty bad. 
you're gonna be marked red status and then we get the like no wait please not red status and then it's just like a solid 30 percent of this chapter is charlie screaming in agony yep and well i like 30 percent of that it is him screaming in agony the like 25 percent preceding that is him begging her name is charlotte yeah it's uh please tom her name is charlotte pretty terrifying which is interesting because at this point i hadn't quite connected his relationship to this charlotte character but it was just kind of i'm assuming based on you know the desperation in his eyes that you know this is the same officer who obviously visited him before and did similar to charlotte so it's it's kind of like, has there been a previous interaction? And also, like, just saying, you know, her name over and over again, despite not being prompted, at least at this point in time, to this individual's existence or non-existence. It just kind of, is this a continuation of, of previous interactions or previous, you know, questioning? We find out what red statusing is later. Like, the audience still doesn't know at this point what it actually means. And it's like... It just seems kind of disjointed. Well, it, it is supposed to feel disjointed because the audience has no idea what's going on. All the characters do. And, mm. like, I did read that, like, Charlie was was saying... Was, was saying some hostage's name to try to, like, get a moment of empathy out of this authority figure. He's trying to humanize the action that this person is committing. Yeah, this, which... this is you aren't red statusing me. You are killing a person and I want you to acknowledge that like. But I mean, yeah. that's why it was like, but it was still confusing because at this point we hadn't been introduced to who Charlotte was. So it was kind of just like it, it's purpose. I guess confusing. for my. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm acknowledging that it was just very confusing and, and like, obviously it made me think about who this Charlotte could be. But at the point in time, it was also just like, is this... At first, I thought that Charlotte was actually his daughter for the longest time. Well, no, so, Charlotte is his daughter. That was my I think Charlotte is his daughter. Yeah. You told me that... Never mind. No, Char Charlotte... We When we go into the we, basement, we find a drawing signed Charlotte, so it's... Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's a very child... And then Matt told me that it was like his wife or something. Oh, like, you know what? I, I I think I think I misunderstood. I I yes, I was solidly like Charlotte was his totally his daughter. He's like, no, that was his wife. No, I'm like, I, I remember now. I misremember. <laughs> I was making a joke that I thought it was funny that the character Charlie was married to a woman named Charlotte, but now I'm realizing I remembered the name in the wrong place. <laughs> Yeah, no, what? Yes. <laughs> well, that's my confusion. Matt, Matt misremembered planting the false idea in Jay. <laughs> and now everything here we is are. fine. Yeah, no, actually, everything is fine. The the vibe I initially got because Charlie lives alone, I thought that it mm -hmm. would. I thought that whoever Charlotte was was the wife. But then we see later the picture, and like the other thing that's important about the picture is the picture is Daddy Charlotte. And then mommy has angel wings and is above in the sky. Yep. Yep. So and, so, and that's yep. the point where it's revealed who Charlotte really is. Yeah. So his wife is dead. Like yeah. mm -hmm. 
just to quickly get us to this point, what happens is Maggie can't get over the fact that Charlie's gone, goes through a bunch of like interactions with people going like, I have no idea who Charlie is. Bob and Linda are packing to go to Lakeview because they clearly got a promotion for someone getting reported on. And hmm. um, then we we cut to Maggie going like, well, I need to go to the basement. And then she goes in the basement and finds this picture. Um, yeah, th this is actually uh, going back to what I was saying with um, like the the buildup of the basement. And it's like this is another moment where her going into the basement actually doesn't reveal anything because you get that that classic moment of she goes in the basement and finds <gasps> nothing. Basement. <laughs> It still leaves the tension of like, what did the police take out of this basement that was so serious? Because like the other thing that's um, important is as Charlie is screaming in agony, he is like clawing at his bear mask thing, which is bleeding, <laughs> which is a, yet another level of yeah. terror. It's hard to tell if that's real, though, because the way this comic does like action scenes is like blots red over everything. So it's not yeah. necessarily blood. But it also could be blood. It could easily be blood. The significance of finding the picture is the picture, or the picture I think was on the wall. Um, I think it's in a it, box of called Memories or something. Among the effects, and still in Charlie's basement, is a um, children's um, like physics textbook. Yeah, like like, like, like Science One Hundred and One. Um, and one of the pages is marked by being dog-eared and she opens up to the page and it is a page on faraday cages and like the foil yep he turned his basement into a giant faraday cage and because this is a comic and we need to illustrate to people entire amounts of information based on images alone we get mad ramblings of everything circled on this page of it works and i'm like <laughs> those are very interesting notes for the person doing this but okay as the audience member i appreciate it the paying off of what it is that was so important in the basement being a faraday cage i thought was worthy of all of that build up because mm -hmm. The, you know, and it's like this changes the trajectory of everything. Well, it immediately changes the trajectory because Maggie immediately goes, well, going to buy a crap ton of foil. <laughs> yep, because now Maggie is the is the train enthusiast. Yeah, which is. Whew, Not the, suspicious the, at all. The fact Maggie just thinks it's OK to go to the big box store and buy all the foil. Oh, that's weird. All the foil has gone. I really need some it's, foil. It's out of stock. Which, because this is a big box store, it's interesting that all the other stocks or the, all the other shelves are always fully stocked. Even the display of fish directly above foil. When she goes by the L's, there's also like lamps, but they're like ceiling lamps hung from the top of the. It's... Yeah, it's it's really weird and uncanny. <laughs> yeah, so she she tries to buy foil in bulk and the the shop hand is like a really good like mix of confused and scared mm. and you're not sure if he's like already been talked to by authorities or like he's just like why is this woman asking about foil we're clearly out like she's asking questions and asking questions is dangerous and i'm scared please help don't you have any extra foil in the back um <laughs> as anyone who's worked retail you always hate that question don't you have any in the back i'm like no nothing is in the back <laughs> Nothing has ever been in the back. That's an illusion. Mm -hmm. If we had things to sell, they would be where you could buy them. Yeah. 
Asking if something is in the back is an excuse for said retail employee to go into the back, pick their nose, check their phone, and then go tell you <laughs> that no. But yeah, unfortunately, there is no foil at store. So, <laughs> Maggie, uh, <laughs> uh, Maggie heads out to her car only to see uh, she actually catches on the way out the person who accumulated all of the uh, the foil. Uh, you're, so you're trying to cook a turkey, right? <laughs> I love I love the uh, the the metaphor they use as cooking a turkey. It's a really big bird. How many feet do your turkey have? Actually, uh, so what kind of feet do you like on your turkey? I really like square feet, about a thousand square feet on my turkey. <laughs> it's it's simultaneously a clever like m metaphor workaround, also exceptionally obvious. <laughs> it really makes me think that this despotic big brother government, like they very clearly have a script that they're holding to, but we so. I love soft world building stuff like mm. this. And this says to me that the current authorities of this government, this isn't a new thing. This has been around for at least two generations. And the current bigwigs in this despot are comfortable with the tone of the script, not the words of it. See, one of the things that I immediately think about is the fact that we actually see the scale of the neighborhoods later on. And one mm -hmm. of my thoughts is there might be like flags and code words that get like picked up by a computer. So like even though in conversation, it's super obvious what they're talking about. If, if a computer if a computer is monitoring it, it would be less inclined to catch it. Even if a, if a person was monitoring it, like the scale at which they have to be monitoring, like it's not reasonable to yeah. personally listen to everyone's conversation. You just need to instill the fear that you could be. Yeah, it, it's just it's still really funny. Uh, you know, square feet mm. on my turkey. Gotta love it. <laughs> How Gotta square love it. feet of turkey? I've seen some pretty big turkey about 1500 square feet. No <laughs> gaps. Once you've got that turkey wrapped up, you've got to be ready to cook it. What what are you saying? <laughs> the metaphor starts breaking down because I happen to little. I happen to have some foil in my trunk. Oh man, Judy's a great character. I love Judy. Did we uh, point out that Judy is the same lady who was uh, at the the park with Maggie in the first bit? Because I, I didn't that, even notice that. I, I noticed that on the reread. I hadn't actually put that together, but when you mentioned that there was someone in the park in that first scene, I'm like, oh, that's Judy. I remember the purple coat. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I didn't notice until I was rereading the whole thing from the beginning to do the outline was like, oh, hold on. I know that character because she shows up twice again in the series. Like, yep. oh, that's and that explains why she disappears without a trace the second um, Maggie looks away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, that that's another thing about how if you play along with this authority figure, you are allowed more freedom and more customization. Not everyone, but most of the people that we interact with early in this story, that is uh, Sammy and Maggie the neighbors, the Millers, and uh, Judy, they all have the classic 1950s dress code of the men are in suits, the women are in dresses. They just have iconic colors that they almost always stick to. Mm. It isn't until we start seeing cops and mares that we start seeing that we start seeing 
facial hair on the suits like and... ex- specifically accessories on the head on the mask head thing because mm-hmm. the other thing is uh officer tom also has like the the police hat like the classic police hat look that's a uniform <laughs> that's how you know his job like that's why he has the mustache too like it's it's very particular that like what people what people are allowed to wear Maggie has been doing an awful lot of laundry in the basement, and Officer Tom is very concerned about it. Because Linda noticed that Maggie was getting into trains. Sammy's also concerned about it. The amount of code words in this. You feel like a freaking maniac saying this stuff. Before Officer Tom shows up, um, actually, there's a really great scene where... Um, uh, Sammy can't find his favorite pair of socks. I'll just head down to the basement and, and grab them. And there is this like extraordinarily tense scene of you don't need to go into the basement. That's where laundry happens. That's a woman's job. What are you talking about, Maggie? That's a weird thing to say. Don't go into the basement. What? (laughs) This is good house. This is good housewife work, Sammy. You don't go in the basement. There's so much laundry. There's too much down there. I need to take care of it. And then that's when Officer Tom shows up and would like to see the basement. Speaking of uh, Mm -hmm. weird things that don't ever get explained that I would think might pop up as being relevant later. uh, Sammy is hanging up a painting and Maggie goes like, hey, uh, what's up with that painting? Is something anything cool about it? And Sammy just goes, I don't know. It's just reminded me of something and it's just and it just ends on that which is yeah because we're about to go off the rails at this point (laughs) this is where we have got everybody in this stuff together and it is now time to three two one and jam (laughs) oh man the pace this goes at is interesting Uh... it it literally goes from zero to murder in about five panels (laughs) it really do be like that (laughs) because officer tom literally comes in like i need to see the basement and sammy's just like i'll give you the grand tour and maggie's just like oh no well i know what i have to do now picks up the hammer sammy was hanging a painting with and uh so yeah the scene is that sammy and officer tom are walking down the stairs into the basement and they see that every square inch of the basement wall is covered in tinfoil and sammy is confused because he has no clue as to what's going on. But Officer Tom clearly understands that this is rebel behavior. He goes to turn and walk up the stairs and make a report about this. And there's Maggie looking like Albert and Wesker standing at the top of the stairs with hammer in hand like, I can't let you do that. Once the turkey's in the oven, you got to be ready to cook it. <laughs> now, Maggie, I want you to think about what you're doing. <laughs> we can talk about this. There's nothing to talk about, Tom. And much like how Charlie screamed Charlotte's name, Tom screams the names of his children. And Maggie, raising the hammer, says his name was Charlie. Boom! Hammer to the cranium. This is a hammer, a hammer tongue ball peen hammer. It bites into that big mask. It dents into the side of the ear. It's like there's a shell, and then we see there's stuff underneath. But also blood and goo. And this isn't like a weird, like, oh, did is this like cartoonish drawing, like doing something with gore? Even Sammy goes in universe. What is all that green stuff? <laughs> yeah, there like multiple characters acknowledge what? Okay, that I recognize the red stuff is blood. What is that? 
But, like, the, my main takeaway is this clearly knocks Officer Tom out. If you look at where she hit him knocks on the mask. Knocks him straight into the afterlife. He's not dead yet. Ah, true. She, she kills him later, but um, this knocks him out for a reasonable amount of time for someone to be unconscious, in all fairness. Uh, mm. Like, he's out for, like, 60 seconds. Which isn't great, but, you know, still a reasonable amount. Um, where is she hits him? If he was wearing a mascot head, shouldn't have hurt him, but it it clearly makes him bleed. So it's like, what is going on inside these cat masks? What is in those? Yeah, no, because that's the thing. He goes ham and just, you know, bashes him until he is no longer the living. It's like a shell. And it looks like brain matter on the inside. But like where their mouths are. And their mouths are still super tiny. They're some kind of mutant creature. You shouldn't have been able to with a hammer hit deep enough to hit anything that was like part of a, a human person. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. and what is that, Go? <laughs> like. Well, yeah, well, we'll get into this. Um, yeah, Maggie, Maggie beats a dude to death. And um, as they're sitting there in the basement with the corpse of a police officer, um, Maggie and uh, Sammy uh, have a honest conversation where um, Sammy realizes he can talk freely down here in their aluminum shack. We have a very critical from a world building moment where Maggie immediately loots the corpse of the police officer. You gotta rip the GPS out. She loots Officer Tom's body, finds his cell phone, which has like last ping is X minutes away. I don't remember, but basically there's a ping every 10 minutes showing the physical location of everyone with the masks. So they have 10 minutes inside the Faraday cage to speak freely before they have to step out, put their masks back on and be seen by the system. Mm. I have to put the metaphorical mask back on because it's worth noting. The, the... As, I'm, as I'm about to say, it's a very poignant metaphor. Yeah. They never take those weird teddy bear cat masks off. Whatever they are. We don't actually see their real human expressions we never see the whites of their eyes. And that's immensely unsettling, especially when we're having a very real, open, vulnerable heart to heart between two people in a relationship who which was once very vibrant and full of love and fire and now is just cold ashes mixed into the shape of what it once was. I really love the way that they were able to characterize the kind of relationship that uh sammy and maggie had before this happened whatever this is <laughs> because um they clearly were different people before they came to this neighborhood whenever the hell that happened however the hell that happened look say what you want about sammy that man comes around from watching his wife murder some dude to well how am i gonna help hide the body <laughs> real quick Oh, yeah, no. Massive props to Sammy. <laughs> that guy immediately stones up. Balls of adamantine, spine of steel. He is ready to go. The way Maggie talks to him is she's pleading him to not be such a coward. And like when he's finally in the dome, he's just like, no, we've got to do this. Also, um, I'm not. <laughs> I've just been doing what needed to be done. Mm hmm. 
Well, I, I like I like that there was like such a level of apology to that because um what he what he basically says to Maggie is I was doing this for I don't think they give a name, but I was doing this for her, but I was starting to forget who I was and who you are. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry. They get to talk for the first time and Maggie can't even remember how long. Yeah, she, she's like, I don't even know how long it's been. And then Sammy just comes in. It's been three years, one month, 15 days. Like he is keeping count of this, ever, which also makes sense. This is the same dude who would wake up well before his alarm did and sit up waiting yeah. for the day to begin. Like he such a such a great character moment for both of them, because you understand who they really are in that moment so well who they used to be anyway they need a quick plan and whew, man yeah. this next this next <laughs> bit is going to be hard to sum because it does a lot of the cliffhanger is they don't explain to you that they already knew what the plan was mm, it's yeah, much yeah. better to read than summarize in all fairness um like, like it's absolutely good it does the thing i like in heist movies which is the heist is actively ongoing, and every time there's a pause in the action, it flashbacks to the planning scene of this is how the heist is going to go mm -hmm. so that it puts the viewer in this weird, this very weird point five dimensional space of being the omni, uh, the omniscient reader and also the person in the action scene. So yeah. Just going to remind everyone for like the third time, just go read this and then we can just talk about it in order. It's going to take you like five minutes and then you'll just understand what we're talking about. It's great. Um, we are spending way longer analyzing this than there would take time to verbally read out every line of dialogue. <laughs> Yeah, and actually even more so cuz like a lot of the a lot of the like particularly like spooky tent scenes it's kind of scary to scroll and it took, you know, it, it's one of those ones where when I didn't have a, a deadline to meet, I read it very slowly. This is very more like edge of your seat move on to the next thing sort of yeah, yeah. Um, Th this arc is not a horror at this point it's a the, the second you kill a police a officer and this both agree to just be like yeah let's go with the plan it's it's a thriller it's not it's a thriller at that point which this is I, this is oceans 11 yeah uh well not that one but yeah yeah <laughs> same vibe <laughs> Same vibe as that. Yeah, this is this is um, transition for this bit into it being a thriller. Functionally, they Sammy dresses up as Officer Tom and uses that as a distraction. And Man, they sure uh, lucked out that uh, Officer Tom had the exact same color mask as Sammy. Like <laughs> that is the only way this plan works. OK. Legit, I love how this turns the surveillance state on itself. Yeah, <laughs> because. The entire point that we've learned through context clues at this point is not that the system is listening to what you say. It's listening to your tone, because obviously without the uh, power of facial expressions, the tone of your voice is everything. And so long as you can mimic the proper tone, you're good to go. Oh, yeah, this part. Oh. <laughs> Obviously, to us, the reader. Yeah, you want to. This is you... very obviously Sammy wearing Officer Tom's clothes and pretending to be him and mustache. 
And you want to talk yeah. about convenient though. Yeah, I, I I think I know what Matt just grew yeah, up. This, this, so... this one was because it's like I'm so on board with everything is fine. This was the farthest stretch of suspension of disbelief oh, it's... that we got. <laughs> Oh, it's very contrived, but for the context and the theme, I was very willing to accept. Like it, it fits theme, but like it's when you look back at it, going like they have strict ten-minute windows to do these plans, and apparently Maggie spent that time looking through his phone to find his video of him with his children, which happened to contain the exact words he needs to mimic his way through a conversation, which. It's much better to read in the comic because you're not aware this is the explanation for the weird scene that happens. But when this is the explanation for the weird scene that happens, you kind of go, that technically fits. Cool. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, the, the one thing that excuses that particular bit of it is that they could go down for 10 minutes, start finding clips, go back up, go back down again, because they only need to be. That is fair. There is a nebulous amount of time that passes. It's nebulous so that it can justify this contrivance. Basically. It is less than one day, but mm. anywhere within that is a wide range of. That's as far as the suspension of disbelief goes. You didn't break it. Everything Sa is Sammy fine. essentially m memorizes some of the words Officer Tom said in the video of him with his children to speak with his accent, which will... Maggie at least says that's not going to be good enough to fool a person, but it will probably fool the microphones. I thought he was I thought he had the phone and was playing recordings of his actual voice. You know, they they cut up the rec the actual recordings. Oh, was that? Oh, you know, what? Sammy never spoke a word. Mm, I I don't think that's true because the, the speech bubbles he says aren't. Well, aren't maybe. There was there was a the speech bubbles weren't like coming from his pocket or anything. And he may have been also saying things in addition to the recording. He, de he definitely was saying things because Bob give him the credit that's due to Bob. Bob's like, that was that he was, realizes that something's wrong. And that was Sammy wearing the corpse of a police officer. <laughs> um, But I know there is at least one. There's at least one insert shot of Sammy, like hitting the play button on a recording. It's it, yeah, it, it's weird. The biggest thing that shows that this surveillance state relies more on audio than video and like what video they do have is very superficial is that they are looking for the uniform signs of civilian police officer, civilian who has played along, etc., cetera, et cetera. The big thing is that Officer Tom is white. Sammy is black. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this is a very obvious tell to people who have seen both characters like us the omniscient reader bob clearly has not bob doesn't know who officer tom is i think oh he has no idea it, it's actively said he has no idea mm -hmm. yeah like like uh Bob has like called into the police station and may have like spoken with Officer Tom, but they've never physically seen each other. Essentially, it's a comedy routine of there is a Looney Tunes aspect to it that to, I have dressed as a dead police officer, which okay, nothing, nothing will be more suspension of disbelief than it's sure his lucky Officer Tom and Sammy have the exact same color mask. But yeah, moving on from that. um. <laughs> Like they walk in, go to the, hey, I'm going to need to look in your kitchen. Do you have any whiskey? As he opens the window. I'm not sure if that's revealed when he's doing it, but that's what he's doing is he's unlocking the window. 
Then he goes down in the basement. He plants Officer Tom's GPS and the murder weapon, which is the hammer, mm-hmm. and hides them like behind the fuse breaker or something. Um, and then just goes like, well, my job here is done. And then he leaves out the back door. <laughs> yeah. And at which point Maggie shows up at the front door knocking and, you know, Bob goes to answer it. Uh, Bob, have you seen Winston? Who's Winston? My dog, you know, Winston. You mean your dog who's dead? Oh, wait, I can't say that out loud. Um, <laughs> and like th- this non sequitur distracts him long enough for another sort of goofy moment. Well, of Because he, he's not even distracted is the thing. He's just like, I have to talk to her because otherwise, like the like be a good citizen protocol activates. But like, you're clearly not looking for your dog. We both know he's dead. What are you doing here? But they can't have that conversation. So it's like, yeah, I am trapped here as like Sam's Sam said, the- it's like Sam said, it's it's using the surveillance state's own systems against it in a lot of ways. As and Sammy the- <laughs> jumps over the, the fence and hits his head on the <laughs> Because it's hard to climb a fence with the big mask thing on. Well, specifically, it's hard to climb a fence with such a big head, which I, until I hear Mike's response to my Q&A, will be theory evidence point number one. Yeah, it's it's weird. Well, I mean, I would also follow up with the fact that even if that statement in itself, I mean, I don't know how athletic Bob might have been, but or not Bob, but Sammy. um Sammy, Sammy might have been, but it's just kind of like this would be something I would assume they would have adapted to. I don't know. I don't it, know if he's been jumping fences. Since. That's well, that's why that's, that's why I preface this like how athletic they might have been. Because like the the weird thing about it is that they call it a mask, and on top of that, they acknowledge that the head is disproportionately large, yet goo and blood and what looks like gray matter. How Officer Tom was killed? <laughs> everything. everything Sammy, Sammy, if it, Sammy is actively like, what is that goo? What is this? Ah! The fact when um, Charlie clawed his eyes out, there was blood? Uh-huh. It's, like, uh, everything, everything is, is fine. fine. The fact that Maggie and uh, Sammy just arrive back in their house and they're like, well, we did it. I think we skipped the part where before they enact this plan, they go and cuddle on their bed. But it's so mm-hmm. sweet. That's a, it's a tender that's moment. A cute, yeah, that's very sweet. Moment. And they're like, yep, we did it. And then Maggie's just like, one more thing. I called the police. And he's like, why did you do that? Because we needed to undercut the sting from the last page, which was um, Bob immediately calling the police from this weird stuff and getting stopped mid. Or, or we need to not just avoid our neighbors being snitched. We need to do we a prevent preemptive strike against. Exactly. Um, because one of we the turn it against them through Officer Tom's phone via text. Bob has been annoying me, so please red status him. They don't say red status means something specific, so I don't remember what the phrasing oh, is. Put him, put him on a a, a blocklet. That's my other problem is Maggie uses the exact vocabulary she would need to use to for this situation, which can be waved away. But Maggie, Maggie in this specific like murder plot gets away with a lot. Yeah. So this is like the icing on the cake at the end of me going like, OK, Maggie, I get it. You're really good at everything. And then it, it gets better. But like this, this murder plot is my suspension of disbelief was like 
a shoestring. Oh yeah, no, I, I'm yes. <laughs> With how absurd this this whole Looney Tunes situation is, but uh, it yeah. gets very Looney Tunes in the worst way. Like they they've set everything up. Then at night, they're going to hide the body. So like in the meantime, that's when we get the really cute cuddling scene. We get the really cute Bob and Linda go to their... Their oh. Faraday cage. Yeah, actually, it was funny because I think Sammy actually also does mention, like, shouldn't you have just done a closet? A closet would have been the smart thing to do. Your entire basement is completely unnecessary. We cut to Bob and Linda who have a closet done. Although... <laughs> Full and reveal. Bob and Linda's closet. I, I'm not sure if that's supposed to be an entire room of the house or there is just some artistic license taken how big that closet is. Because like with the size of their heads, they also have a lot of room in that closet. Uh huh. But no, my favorite part is that like Sam's like, maybe we could do a closet next time. And Maggie says, wow, I legitimately never thought of that because I only heard of that through talk about basements. And then immediately cut to the Millers with the closet. Oh, yeah. I love the Millers because like they're they're having the conversation where Bob is desperately trying to say, I think they murdered a police officer and trying to frame us for it. But he can't say those words while being a good citizen. So Linda's just like, let's go to the closet and talk about this. Or she's like, I need you to help me with something in the closet. And that's code word for they go into the closet. And then Linda just tears Bob apart. <laughs> Oh, she is. She's a bitch. She is, because Bob is 100% right about every theory he has. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, to be fair, this plan is ridiculous and extremely contrived, and it is a miracle that it actually worked. So I think it actually is almost a bit of, like, uh, like um, fourth wall self-awareness of uh, Bob sees through literally all of this instantaneously. This was a it's a terrible plan. It is. It is the perfect storm of bob has the wild imagination enough to theorize exactly what the wilkerson's our our protag family is doing and then everyone's reaction is that's so stupid why would anyone ever attempt that that's a terrible idea well, i kind of see it as like some kind of poetic justice because i mean that's also like what their mo is they're trying to get one over over them constantly so i kind of interpret it as like wow isn't that wishful thinking like you're projecting a little bit there L linda's arrogant and feels like she's the only one capable of coming up with sneaky plans like yeah, no, the point is that Bob's theories are outlandish, but it's what our pro tags are doing and it's working. But Linda is also like, no, we need to play the game. Linda's also like everyone but me is stupid. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. she had. Yeah, she has. So and, strong. And so it becomes this perfect storm where if Linda listened to Bob, they would actually be right and maybe could screw over our pro tags. But it's also like we also don't know. I mean, we are alluded to this previously, but I mean, it's also like, has he had outlandish, you know, postulations in the past? And it's just kind of like, not this again. Are you seriously thinking everyone's against this? This happened to be an instance where he was correct. But I mean, but was he actually calling in bad tips in the past? Yeah, he wasn't, though, because he, he, they called in that one tip. And then like Maggie saying, I'm tired of the bad intel from him. Like, well, that's the thing. We don't know. Yeah, but I mean, but that's that also was... the thing. We don't know. Like, we don't know. But I mean, my take is like it's a combination of both is what I'm saying. Like, yes, 
he's right. But is he I, also the type of character who has these kind of grand ideas or schemes? And yes, yeah, Linda's kind of an awful person, but I mean, like, is he the type who comes up with these ideas, is constantly pulling her aside and be like, this neighbor, I think they're doing this. And she's like, oh my gosh, are you doing this again, Bob? That's kind of the thing is like in the narrative we're given, Bob is right both times we see him do it. And we don't see him do anything to the like of it at all otherwise. So from what we're reading, Bob is always right. It's mm -hmm. it's largely Linda's reaction is the reason why it seeds that doubt. But like also Linda's not portrayed as a like altogether person so i'm like, not justifying her i'm just saying like i could also see that being a reality where not only is he perceptive but he also happens to be somebody who picks up and like from there kind of spins things the only reason i'd be against that interpretation is because in the closet we do get revealed that their plan to go to lakeview was linda's idea and like the thing about lakeview is they are like okay some weird they they acknowledge some weird stuff is going on with the neighbors Let's leave tomorrow morning. I know we weren't planning to leave until next week. And then Bob's like, what about if we leave tonight? And I'm like, good job, Bob. You would have survived the scene. <laughs> but it, she's like, no, that would look suspicious. We're going to leave first thing tomorrow morning. Well, yeah, that's that's the whole thing. This is a moment of the cloud cuckoo lander was right. Yep. Like, that's why I'm saying it makes sense that that people wouldn't trust Bob, like, despite the fact that he's right about all these things. Everyone else's reaction to him is that he's done this before. Well, that's the thing. The only other reaction we get to him is his wife. The The chief just kind of takes Tom's word for it. And Tom at that point is Maggie pretending to be Tom. So we don't get anyone's real interpretation of uh, Bob except for Linda. So it's like there's not really any evidence that he's crazy. Which is very hostile. He might not be totally crazy. He might just be hypervigilant. I don't think we even get that as the uh, whatever I'm going around in circles for. I, I think Bob's on the docket. But so the, the main point of this conversation is the, they want to Bob wants to leave tonight. His wife says, let's leave tomorrow morning. Their original plan was to leave for Lakeview in a week. And they're just going to go to bed and they go to bed. They're not cuddling. They aren't. Maggie and no, Sam do that. Not. Uh, Linda can't actually sleep is what gets revealed there. But um, Maggie and Sammy do their Ocean's Eleven through the house. Yeah, this is this is uh, it goofy. is it. It's goofy. It desperately wants to be an I action scene. I appreciate. I appreciated it because I like heist scenes, but also none of y'all are Sly Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> the big thing that ends up happening is that they're able to get the uh, Officer Tom's body into the, the Miller's basement. basement. Um, but because uh, Linda uh, comes downstairs to distract her, um, Maggie throws the uh, the hammer through a window so that they're able to get, a, you know, get an opportunity to escape. And like, we don't get revealed what happened either until they've already made it back to the house, because that's another sting of a chapter is, um, what did you do? And she's like, you're not going to like it. Not going to like it. To be it, fair, it's I pretty obvious what happened. Yeah, yeah. But like, I, I used the murder weapon as our distraction. But why would you do that? They're just going to know they can't prove anything. We've got all the cards. And I'm like, I, I get it, Maggie. 
Yes, forensics has completely broken down in this police state, which and and like honestly, one of the strongest panels is when um Charlie is sentenced. And it's like Tom says, Charlie, you have been found guilty of blah blah blah. And it's like this is this is just a police officer doing a search of a house. And he's able to say, the state has found you guilty. In all fairness, in Charlie's case, it was pretty obvious what he was doing. Like, I, I mean, you're right. You are right. But, but even so, even if we have open shut cases, we still try them, correct? Mm hmm. No, exactly. Exactly, Jay. And so it is such a disgusting overstep of police power for Tom to be able to do that. And that gives you a visceral and terrifying idea of what this world is like. And that actually does go back into the same situation of um, this is another case where the dead body is in their basement and they have the murder weapon. Are they going to check for fingerprints because the the police will just red status you like that? Occam's razor. The most obvious and simple answer is most usually the correct. <laughs> Which is exactly why they don't believe Bob when he <laughs> summarizes the plot. Mm -hmm. This is exactly what happened. Hold Come on. You said you didn't know, Tom. No, my wife said that because she wanted to lie to you for some reason. I really don't know what's going on here. <laughs> Complexity just confuses the situation and a fascistic domineering government doesn't like complexity and confusion. It is black and white. You are either with the state and right, or you are not with the state and wrong and need to be punished. That's what happens to Bob and Linda, because the police don't bother doing an investigation, which would absolutely reveal that the Wilkerson's did this. Like, they left so much forensic evidence behind. Bob and Linda, uh, Bob and Linda, uh, Sammy and Maggie are in their day clothes in the middle of the night when their alibi was they had been mm -hmm. sleeping and woken up by a noise. Apparently they changed into their, like their story makes no sense. Oh, their, their alibis. Yeah, if you thin. investigated it, you would be able to catch them, but the police don't do but that. But the point is that yeah. they don't. And so Bob and Linda are red status but before before the red statusing happens linda grabs a kitchen knife and is ready to go full babarusa <laughs> on them in one of my favorite scenes in this entire webcomic because linda's just standing there with a knife like i was ready to do anything and i meant anything and now there's no going back I'm taking as many people down as I can. At which point she's immediately tased. Unfortunately, she monologued for too long. Yeah. <laughs> she did monologue for too long. Classic mistake. It's very intentionally funny where it's like she takes about, about half a step before she is instantaneously tased. We also skipped over the part that um, apparently uh, Officer Tom's wife, Laura, is the reason the police are here. The, she called Officer Greg to go investigate where Tom had been. Because he was late coming home and yes. hadn't called. This also coincided with Maggie separately calling the police, but sure, they got two calls, I guess. Bob and Linda are red status, and uh, we get to see what they see is the big thing. Yeah, this is where it's revealed what red statusing is. 
Yeah, because the camera zooms in on one of their eyes to the top of a building, which sees two young children, a boy and a girl, judging by their dress, holding hands and saying, Mom, Dad, we're sorry. It's not your fault. This has to happen as they step off of the roof and fall an agonizingly long time to a very abrupt ending. With like, you can see Bob and Linda screaming on the outsides of the panel panels, like just, ah, like it's... Yeah, and that part confused me a little bit because is that supposed to be instantaneous? Yes, this honestly hurt. This hurt really bad. To yeah, read. this is... This was the other thing where I said uh, everything is fine, built something up really hardcore and it had better have something good to pay it off. And I mean, by that, it's just saying like, it's really strange that the children were already in place as soon as they were red status. I think the point is that the children are hostages because yes, everyone... I, I totally agree with that. I'm just saying it's two at the same time. In other words, you were are like it falls falls in line with like you're not even tried. The fact that your judicial system is wonky because it's just like as soon as you're accused or we're just going to check you out or anything, we already have the hostages at the ready, kind of thing. Yeah, and that's kind of yeah. very strange. It's strange, but that's the point. The police the were coming to an investigation <laughs> at their mm -hmm. house. But that's what I mean. Like the fact that it happened. At the same time, like they already had them ready to go. They were just waiting for the OK. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly believe that at any one moment, this demon government has children just lined up, ready to go to sh to be shoved to the edge of a rooftop. But like, that's the most fantastical way, the most realistic in a sense way is police officer a gets called to house x so you take child a and child x and move them into the ready position just to make sure that every party involved knows exactly what's at mm -hmm. risk yeah and, me um, Sam. it is it is it is beyond monstrous. It is devilish. It's demoniac. Yeah, because um, there's like that. There's the bit when um, we actually see uh, some stats on uh, Bob and Linda, which were strange. There's like the status button. You hit it, change to red status. So it's like that's the point where kids are on the on the edge of the cliff now. And uh, yeah. Like when we get the little cell phone app for like switch them to red status, we get like a little description of them and they're listed as 83 years old, 345 centimeters tall and 395 pounds, which maybe that's just what they are. But like Charlie's was normal measurements. So I'm thinking, do they just add the stats of a married couple together? Like, are they 41 and 42? And those add together to 83 because that's totally how you met. And Charlie was a single father. Yeah, Charlie being single, because like the one of the one of the things I noticed is that I actually was more focused on the horror of what was happening. I actually didn't 
notice the uh, the ages until it was pointed out to me and i went back and looked at to see if uh charlie had any weird numbers and he's actually also a little older than you'd expect he's 30 something which he seemed younger than that to me so but like, because of the hoodie, hoodie. yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe but the hoodie is the uniform of the 20 something <laughs> um but yeah the um uh it being combined actually i hadn't thought of that would explain the the 83 because like they they do not seem like they're 83 <laughs> like it would also make sense that it's like by household yeah and then that kind of ties into this whole thing that people are only valued as a couple and that they're only va- definitely the only people they're keeping hostage are parents. Yeah, they are a unit. Which would also explain why Charlie quickly got disinterested with the system because he was clearly never supposed to be a part of it. Like, mm, yeah, this weird family dynamic didn't apply to Charlie. So that's how he found himself outside. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he has no prospects. I mean, his child's taken away and... I don't see any like dating pool for him, so it's just kind of like. Well, he's he's red status, so. Well, I mean, I meant before. I meant before that, like, there's no dating pool. He's not, you know, going out and meeting single 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 women in this at least not that we're aware of. So it's just kind of like. Well, I mean, I think Maggie thought that might be what he was doing, but uh, obviously not. <laughs> like it's it's clearly not out of the ordinary for people to, like, what is ordinary in this situation is kind of weird, but like. The way people behave about other things, not immediately put it, popping up a red eye. Like, I'm assuming people date. This is one of those situations where the the fantastical elements kind of fall apart the more you look at it. Well, I don't see it that way, because the thing for me is that, like, we don't we are lacking so much information. True. Like, true. they've been there for three plus years. But like, how did they get there? Specifically to me, it doesn't make sense because we don't have enough information to put together this mad puzzle. Well, anyway, let's let's wrap up with what happens because we're we're almost near the end here. Um, so what happens after Bob and Linda are red status is kind of out of the blue. Officer, is it Officer Greg or is it? I believe it's, it's, it's Officer Greg. Greg. He goes, well, uh, Sammy and Maggie, uh, you got 30 minutes to pack. What what do you mean? We're taking Tom's car. What do you mean? You guys are going to Lakeview. Those guys are dead, so there's a free seat. Okay. All right, sure. I guess we can do that. And then as they get in the car, they're like, well, it's, I mean, it's just sad. The whole house, you know, we're just, and then Officer Greg goes, you guys don't understand how lucky you are. And Matt and the audience going like, how lucky are they? Because <laughs> they've been pretty lucky already. Let's see where we're going with this. And then Matt and the audience in the future was like, yep, that's pretty damn lucky. Like, weirdly mm-hmm. lucky. Hey, audience, you remember last week where Sam was like, I think that life is precious and should be protected, and so long as you're alive, you can improve your situation? Um, This kind of absolutely both proved me right and proved me wrong, because it's like, okay, you can play the script as long as you want. You can just keep being a part of the situation. But if you don't advance, you're going to be burned. Yes. We get to see the scale of the like the neighborhoods and blocks as what is revealed is officer greg goes oh well i guess you'll find out soon enough uh we're passing by the uh neighborhood ahead of yours on schedule and it's a fire truck and they're like oh that's nice no it's a fire truck it is a truck that shoots fire 
because they are systematically burning to the ground all the neighborhoods in a grid-like pattern. And it's a really cool zoom out shot until you look at the scale and you're like, hold on, wait, how many blocks is that grid? Too many. Actually, too few was my concern because it's like you could see down the road to where they're burning. But that being said, we do get a weird line from Bob early on where uh, he's looking out at the sky and it's just like, you can hardly smell it. You know, the smell's seeping in. And you're like, what smell is seeping in? And it's just like what has been revealed is they were burning all the neighborhoods and that only the people who pass on to Lakeview, I assume that's not confirmed, but that it's what's implied. Yeah. And they're like, oh, man, that's really cool. And we cut out on uh, him pulling down the view shade because it is morning and um, the sun's coming down. And on the inside of the visor is a photo of Officer Tom and his wife, Laura, who is notable for. Uh, does she have the butterfly or is that the other guy? Yeah, she has the she has the butterfly mark on her eye. It's a really cool scene because they also have um, the music plays on this where he turns on the radio and it's a. The same song that uh, Bob was preparing the dinner party for. Then on the reread, Matt starts doing the math and is just like, wait, hold on a second. 30 minutes combined. With and I'm just like, so Bob and Linda didn't know this was happening. So they would have just burned the next day anyway, because <laughs> they weren't planning to leave for a week. The phrasing of um, I heard your neighborhood got moved up in the schedule. The way that the paneling is done, they had been driving for a little bit. I don't think that like to, like the their neighborhood was going to get burned tomorrow because, again, time is really warped in this. You can see where the car is in the scale of like going up well, the big wide shot of them getting burned. And there were several neighborhoods away. Like the weird thing is, though, Officer Greg does explicitly give them you only have 30 minutes like he knew there was a schedule happening. And that's why he emphasizes how lucky they were as if there is a time crunch. It's just interesting. I, I read it more as like that's the totalitarian state do the thing now, the way that it shows spatially how far away the burning neighborhoods were. Mm -hmm. Fair. The only way we would obviously, if we would know this, is if, you know, we had some other couple that we could compare them to, you know, would Bob and Linda also be given 30 minutes? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Regardless, that that's how we, we essentially end on that, but there's uh, two, like, after the credits chapters, with um, the next one being an actual after the credits chapter, and the next one after that being a lead up to what is presumably the next arc. Yep. Um... The next chapter is actually pretty easy to summarize. It is the uh, decommissioning box factory that uh, you would remember Charlie worked at. He mentioned saying that. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, we cut to uh, Judy walking through it, seeing an abandoned meal just at the table, and then cuts. She sees Charlie is about to throw himself into the box incinerator. And she's like, hey, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Hey, stop it. And he's like, no, I got you. I've got nothing to live for. And she's like, well, you got to go through me as she jumps in front of him. And it's just like, hey, I'm going to die doing something like a hero. Just tell them I did the right thing. And then Charlie's like, no, I'm not going to kill someone to kill myself. And he pulls both of them off. And mm -hmm. it's a cool scene. It's, it's not a not cool scene. There's just not a lot in it that isn't, oh, Charlie's alive and Judy's part of some form of resistance which some kind of resistance yeah are the resistance. which are both things you could have already picked up on this chapter is really just confirmation of it because you should know charlie's still alive because red status did not kill bob and linda 
Well, and moreover, it's I believe the the vagrant even mentions that they had been red status. I don't think they do explicitly, but the way he's been treated, you should also is the way Charlie was treated. Like, I think I remember that line of dialogue, but it's definitely the very heavy implication. Otherwise, there's enough hints for everything in this chapter. This chapter is just like you got to the end of the part one. Here's the necessary information you need going forward. I'm not going to hint at it anymore, which is fair. That's really good to have in a story like this. You need to keep all members of the audience up. And like, especially when you're doing like a weekly series, maybe people forget what they read two months ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is this is a very like like information and details is very important to this story. So like confirming things does and like the thing about info dumps is they're only bad when they're like the only way you're getting information. An info dump to remind you of things you should have picked up on perfectly fine. Yeah, because like, it confirms that you're not like paying attention to a detail that doesn't matter or something. Yeah. And anyway, um, then we get the final chapter, which is the lead into Lakeview. This is basically introducing the new cast. I will say one thing that I have to ask, how did the jogger dude know that? Tom was dead and also how Tom died. Exactly. It's almost like they called them on the way. That... The only person who could have called was Greg and Greg is in the car. Also, the drive to Lakeview is ridiculous, but Officer Tom must have been commuting from there. <laughs> like, yep. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's weird. We get such a big zoom out. You're like, this must have been like half a day's drive. Also, the characters mentioned it was like half a day's drive. Tom is commuting this. Like, it's so Sa weird. Sammy and Maggie say this is a very long time. They are in the middle of processing the various traumas they've been through. And like, Tom was meant to come home to Lakeview that night. So it's not like he lived somewhere else. Like, but we're, we're starting a new chapter. So <laughs> maybe that will get explained in there. But like... Oh, man. But yeah, we, I, I assume so. I assume so. But there are a lot of weird questions that need some answers. Otherwise, the logistics of this is interesting. But it's a really cool, like, um, Stephen King opening, because as you're scrolling down the page, you get like the intro and there's like even like movie titles of like everything yeah. is fine. Starring Maggie as mom, Sammy as dad. Oh, yeah, no, that that whole sequence where it's just a very, very long track through a deciduous forest. We had the more thrillery action element to uh, the climax of the previous uh, uh, the climax of part one. This was getting back more into the I dare you to keep scrolling. You don't know if this is going to be completely mundane or if something bad is going to happen. Uh, one of the ones that I enjoyed was there's there's a shot of a squirrel and it's cut so that you can't see if it has anything in its mouth. And it's like, this is going to be like eating, eating. A, it's going to be like eating like a like a, a, a human body or something. Yep, that's a finger. <laughs> oh, man. And yeah, like really all we get is like setups to things that will be elaborated on. Like they pull into the part. The first thing Tom and uh, Tom, geez, Tom's dead. Um, Sammy and Maggie notice is that Lakeview is not organized. Like, it's just a normal community on the lake. Like, it's not in grids or anything like. And they're like, oh, wow. And then they park and Officer Greg is just like, yeah, we don't really do cars here. So everyone keeps their cars in this parking lot. Ah, good. So there's no escape from Lakeview. <laughs> <laughs> and the second he parks, 
Officer Greg puts on this weird, like, little smile badge of one, one and a half smiles. And then the jogger guy comes over and he's got a badge of two and a half smiles. And no one talks about what these badges are. And, like, the way Greg's talking, he's like, well, this is where we all live now. As if Greg was done moving here today. Like, and uh, Julian is the name with uh no julian is the guy with the butterfly head he's the hippie who um is like oh yeah man you gotta like check out our cool market oh man maggie i love that dress where did you buy it i bought it at the store <laughs> oh man that's like totally corporate <laughs> it's like are are they a are they a communist river society <laughs> it's so interesting and then we get revealed that the mayor is laura Tom's wife. It's a really cool conversation that doesn't really add anything because it's mostly just Maggie and Sammy apologizing that Tom was dead. And she's like, well, it's not like you murdered my husband, did you? And yeah. no, obviously not. No, definitely not. Also, but we're really, really so sorry. Stop talking about it. Could you please stop mentioning my murdered husband? It's also <laughs> just a very reasonable thing. <laughs> like... I don't want to talk about my murdered husband who mur was murdered last night. Well, actually, yesterday. His body was discovered last night. The mindset of uh, where this place uh, puts you, because, again, you can't see their face. You can't see their expression. How much does Laura know about what happened? Is she just, you know, does legitimately doesn't want to talk about dead husband because that's reasonable? Or... Is some, you know, does she know something? She definitely knows something. <laughs> like the way they set her up as the mayor. Like, yeah, because you can't see the facial expression. You have to try to read from every other available context clue. And um, I liked this as a coda to part one because uh, it because of how actiony and thrillery uh, the and the climax of part one got. This is basically saying okay, now we're getting back into the slow, creeping, scary stuff. And yeah, that's uh, that's where we end with um, everything. And please remember, everything is fine. Everything we'll be back. <laughs> uh, favorite character, everybody. I got to say, it's hard to go against Maggie as favorite character. Maggie just has a kind of vibe to her, a kind of <laughs> authority. I'm doing what I want. <laughs> yeah, Ma Maggie definitely has that. <laughs> I, I don't know. The murder plot line kind of soured Maggie for me. It's it's a long string of Maggie is is the person who is right behind the scenes. And I'm like, cool. So she's the authority now from the narrative. Like, it's I understand what you're getting at, but that's also why I liked her. So, yeah, I'm sort of argue. I'm so sort of in the same bad position. taste. That's fine. Um, yes, it's well, it's well documented, Matt. I really liked the character journey that Maggie went on. The roller coaster of emotions that she went through. Sammy is uh, definitely up there as well, um, because like the big thing that was different for me between Maggie and Sammy is that Sammy's depth sort of came right at when it turned into a thriller. And it's like not to take it away, but like I had already pretty heavily endeared myself to Maggie as a character um so that's why she stands out more in my mind but like they as a couple it's amazing to me how much of an understanding i have of who they really are in spite of all of the like literal and metaphorical barriers to to you know 
who they were before any of this happened. And I really appreciated about how expressive they were in spite of all of that. How about you, Matt? Favorite character? I think I'd go with um, Sam's a pretty good pick. He's like a good. I main... am. <laughs> no, you're a terrible main character, Samuel. <laughs> you're right. I am. As far as like favorite side characters would go, because I think the main characters are pretty on brand. Uh, Sammy's a pretty good pick. Um, I'd go with uh, Bob is real fun. Like even though he's an antagonist, he's like a fun antagonist. And the fact he's 100% right about everything he says. Yeah. Like it feels like he's honestly just being beaten down by both the system and his wife. And he's like, come on. No, we already like he doesn't even really want to continue tattling on people. It's his wife. who's like, no, we got to keep doing it. He's like, come on, we we did the thing that got us the points. We did what we needed to do. You're the one taking this to us just being malicious. Like, we understand everyone is in this concentration camp. We're the we sold out the one person to get us out of here. We don't need to sell out multiple people. That's just. Like, I, I have respect for Bob in that way, because in in the same way Maggie did what she needed to do, Bob also did what he needed to do. They're all doing what they need to do. It's only the fact that some of us are the main characters that they're like, these people are more justified in doing what it takes. But no, everyone is doing what they need to do. It's just some people luck out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that main character privilege. Bob, in spite of being an antagonist, is, I would argue, not a villain and definitely pretty sympathetic. Also, Officer Tom's just doing his job, too, is the thing. <laughs> like, it's a, yeah, yeah. He's such a jolly guy. And then we get like the heart wrenching thing of he's got videos saved of him with his children, which I guess is a cop privilege. Like, or maybe it's a mayor. He's got some connections, I suppose. Yeah, but, that's like, true. His wife is the mayor. He's got a phone with videos of his children. We imagine the other people don't have. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. But Bob is probably going to be my pick. Uh, Jay, you got a favorite character? Yes, I do. I've already said it. I'm going to be consistent. It's Charlie. Charlie is a good pick. Yeah, yeah. he is. Charlie is a good pick. Uh, anybody have some uh, plot predictions going forward? Oh, uh, yes. Okay, <laughs> Jay, go, go ahead. You you were very late on favorite character. What are, where do you think the plot's going? So my theory is that this is I think there's some kind of post-apocalyptic thing going on where they're having to like ration the population. And that's why they've had to separate, you know, like children and families. Or they're expecting like the children to be educated in such a way. Like I understand they're like kept as hostages, but what product are the parents expected to produce in order to assure the society's continuation. Well, that's that's the thing. We get told what the men's jobs are and they don't yeah. appear to be doing anything. They yeah. move a box from point A to point B and then the box is incinerated. I don't believe it's a post scarcity. It's a scarcity economy because like they've got shops full of food and apparently enough to feed every. Well, I guess not feed everyone because they're explicitly told not to feed the vagrants but like that's more a punishment thing yeah they have enough food to feed everyone theoretically if it's not soiling green but <laughs> but it's a punishment thing the point is that hunger is a cruelty yes well i i could totally see a situation where it's like a post-apocalyptic situation happened and society recovered with this sort of situation like like this sort of arrangement and they just haven't gotten rid of it now that 
the apocalypse is over or something like that. But who's at the center of it all? Like, is right. it is it a group? Is it one individual? Is it an extraterrestrial? Is there going to be like a full on like you know spin off of like oh we've actually been invaded by this alien life form that's hyper intelligent and there's actually no reason for us to that would explain the head thing you know there's no reason for us to do anything and we're completely at the mercy of this intelligence yeah i I definitely feel like it's got to be something at least super sci-fi because something has been done to their heads oh yeah for me personally, the thing that I thought of was because their jobs are so menial and pointless, my immediate thought was like, this is this some kind of like social experiment? The the thing that is the biggest wrench in that theory is the sheer scale of it all. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's it's the scale and the logistics of it that makes it so bizarre. It could all be a simulation. Yeah, that, it could that be. would that would make the fact that like the tuna can glitched out on her because that never really gets explained why she saw that in like Japanese. So anyway, my <laughs> theory is that uh, the whole time he was fucking a bear. <laughs> no, that was last episode. No, we're not reading Frankenfran, Matt. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sam, did you have any uh, plot predictions? I don't want to sound derivative or derogatory. It's a fascist government. We're playing our own hand under the microphone kind of story. I appreciate it. I like it. This sort of thing lends itself to a very particular kind of storytelling. And so I don't really see anything particularly innovative happening if it does happen i'm going to be very pleasantly surprised but as things stand right now i don't see anything particularly new happening you know what i mean Mm. yeah a lot of a lot of the grander storytelling is pretty color by numbers and Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think one thing that's super important is a lot of because, you know, we've we've all been pretty darn positive on this thing. The atmosphere of this is definitely its key selling feature. I like I I love it top down, but the atmosphere is definitely the thing it sells itself on. Well, I mean, that's a pretty good segue into our uh, final uh, topic. Um, Let's uh, start with you, Jacob. Uh, Would you continue reading? Everything is fine. Um, I would definitely continue reading. I know that, you know, like, you know, we don't have a part two scheduled and we probably won't for a while, but I'm sort of looking forward to if we come back around to this because it will get me to uh, it will get me to bite the bullet and actually scroll. But I definitely will be uh, trying to keep up with this and then probably being too scared to. (laughs) Okay. Uh, what about you, Sam? Would you continue reading? Everything is fine. Uh, yeah, I would. Because it fits my particular my particular favorite genre of horror, so I would absolutely. Cool, cool. Uh, Jay, would you continue reading? Everything is fine. Oh, I do happen to like everything is fine. I'm gonna preface it with that. Um, so there's nothing wrong with the series. I just I I didn't gravitate it perhaps as closely as, as Sam and Jacob did. I mean, it's not bad. I would read more of it if it was on the schedule, but it's it's a it's a it's low on the list sort of thing. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I prefer a different type of, you know, psychological horror, as you guys know. Mm-hmm. Fair. Yep. And uh, finally, Matt here. I mean, I kind of gave my hand away. I did. I have been keeping up with this week to week and like I really enjoy it. Um, I'm going to be honest. Season two, the fact that it seems to be going back to like out of their element horror, I appreciate because um i'm gonna be honest like in case it wasn't obvious from me talking uh the murder plot line kind of lost me because it it does a drastic genre shift with all the characters and i'm like that wasn't what i wanted and the fact they seem to be going back to that with whatever they're gonna do in lakeview has me interested and I'm I'm looking forward to that. And there's obviously mysteries in the series I would like to know about. And like, there's a there's something ho- pulling me back. And like, also, it's a webtoon. It's it's really yeah, low bar of entry for would I continue reading? I'm like, it's free. Uh, yeah, the barrier. Being said, entry Mike, is, we uh, still love it. Please answer our questions. Please answer my questions, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm amazed you got to the end of a discussion thing about your own uh, comic. That's uh, good for you. Oh, man. But uh, unfortunately, we are done talking about everything is fine. Um, As always, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at OverMangaCast. We're also at OverMangaCast on Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube, um, where Where, as always, everything is fine. (laughs) Everything is fine. And our opinions are shit. Um, If you want to. Mine's not. Mine's mine's like gospel. So (laughs) Uh, drop drop us a comment on YouTube or you'll be red statused. Yep. Uh, uh, on an we, individual level, every last one of our opinions is immaculate and divine, and you are an actual horrible person for disagreeing with us. But on another level, all of us are wrong. Have fun with that. <laughs> so anyway, uh, if you want to verbalize that into a review, uh, Podchaser or iTunes, uh, leave us a review. Uh, we read them. They're fun. Also, if you have any suggestions for series you'd like us to read, uh, go ahead and DM us on Twitter. Uh, drop a comment on YouTube. Um, probably a way you can email us. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> it's somewhere. Yeah. Uh, smoke signals might work. I don't know. Try it. Um, but as always, uh, yeah, reach out. We love hearing from you. Exactly. And next week we are deep. In, we are diving deeper into Spooky Month. Uh, You might say that we are caught in the whirling spiral of terror as we are going to the... Jay, you might want to shoot me for this one, but I'm just going to say it. We're going to the classic of Japanese Stephen King with Uzumaki by Junji Ito. Oh, oh, no. I'm glad I said this after I saw her in person last. (laughs) I mean... I'm just saying... If by Stephen King you mean horror author, like, it's... Yeah, I mean, I'll be controversial. I do like Stephen King's works. But they're... Hold on. Hold on. The number one best-selling author... You're controversial for liking his books. I get crapped on by you guys all the time for liking Stephen King. And you're just like, oh, he's a hack. He's a what? I'm like, cool. You can crap on John Clancy, too. He makes more money than you do with his book. Like, (laughs) he's a successful author, clearly. Like, just saying, I like Stephen King. He seems like a really chill guy um, on top of being a good author. 
whatever. But he's not, not Junji Ito. Yeah, he's not Junji Ito. Junji Ito Uzumaki. Um, this is going to make everything I've focused my personal philosophy around being Gurren Lagann very difficult yeah. to. <laughs> oh yeah, how, how do you deal with um? <laughs> I must hate the anti-spirals. Oh, wait, maybe they had a point. <laughs> I didn't, Matt, and we'll talk about that next week. Good night, Good night everybody. Stare Good night. deeply into the spirals. Good night. <laughs>